Oi, you lot. You listen to Garage Hammer. Episode 198. On tonight's episode, the Mudlings talk about Nagash's newest instrument of destruction, the Night Haunt Army, and all of the sadness and woe and just, just grief and suffering and just that Nagash is petty. Just, he's a, a, a true monster, even worse than the Dawizar were. So, I hope you enjoy all the sadness and grief. So, shut it! I'm listening to me show! Welcome to the Garage, you tools. For the next four hours or thereabouts, we will do our best to keep you informed, entertained, and perhaps have a laugh or two along the way, bringing you spooks, specters, and some pretty pesky poltergeists. I'm Alex Gonzalez. And I'm Mickey Mouse, and these are our Ghostbusters! Dude, they were the original Ghostbusters. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy. They fought three, there were three ghosts, Scat, uh, Scoot, and Skeet. Don't you remember that? The Fearless Ghost Hunters? Dave. Let's process this here. It's a classic. How old am I? You're old enough. You've never watched a Mickey Mouse cartoon when you were a kid? It's not like I watched no. it last week. Well, that doesn't surprise anybody, but no, I never watched Mickey Mouse growing up. Oh, well, I mean, they had cartoons. I mean, it's not like you had to sit. I'm not asking if you watched the Mickey Mouse Club. Gee whiz. If you had said something like closer to like the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, or just Scooby-Doo in general. Except Scooby-Doo sucks. With a capital X at the end. Oh, it's like 20 of them after all the news. Buddy. I have always hated Scooby-Doo. And I know, okay, unpopular opinion, Scooby-Doo sucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's hard. That is like right in the childhood. Buddy. I'm sorry, I was like, like seven, and I always figured scrappy, out... No, Scrappy, scrappy Doo sucks, and Hillbilly Doo, he can go jump in a that's, lake. But That's Scooby Dumb, thank you very Scooby much. But Dumb. also. No, listen, listen. First of all, even at the age of seven, I realized whoever they introduced who walked on and off the set like second, he was the guy. Because like by three episodes in, you could figure that out. It was that was it was old man Jenkins or whoever it was. Third, second guy to walk past and be introduced and walk away was always the guy. Okay. Plus, even at a young age, I realized there was something wrong about this guy who was eating Scooby Snacks. He, he looked kind of scruffy. He was kind of unkempt. Always hung out in the back of the van with the dog. Was talking. To, you know that Shaggy had like, like was was like a big fan of four twenty. Always had half a J in his pocket. That's why he was willing to eat dog food. Because when you're that hungry, like that show was just not right. I could not get. I mean. Uh, Everybody else loved it. I'm a kid going, this is just weird. I don't like it. Uh-huh. But that's me. Unpopular opinion number. I've, I've had them before. I'll have them again. Like, that's like, wow, dude. No, no. It's not okay. I, no, it's it's quite all right. I will pass. I'll take a hard pass on Scooby-Doo. I, I got nothing. Like you can, if you could do the video chat, you would literally see that my jaw dropped. Is wow. Yeah, we're losing listeners worse than when I make political statements. Oh, good oh, golly. Wow. Anyway, <sighs> anyway, um, should we just thank the sponsors since they haven't heard the show yet and they're still sponsors? 
yeah, I mean, there, there's a silver lining to this. So, as a result, we should probably take a moment to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which include... Damn it, computer froze. It's Sorry. It's Superstar. I know. Okay. But I want to make sure I didn't miss it in the order. Oh, I don't think I, I, I don't think anybody is going to be concerned about the order. All right, shut up. Oh. Uh, Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. Scooby Doo sucks. Chaos Orc Superstore. <laughs> Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Wow. I just uh, spent Lindsay. the whole weekend with those dudes uh, at uh, at Gen Con with, uh, with Brad and, uh, and, and Kevin. Yeah. We yeah, had a good legit. time. Mm-hmm. Whew. Uh, Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. Uh, for all of your, like, they have everything that GW makes, and they have all the Black Library books, and they have painting stations, and, uh, oh, it's just bananas. That place is awesome. Yep. And then Black Dog Hunting Game in Love's Park, and which is the place to the be other for gamers. Place to be. Hey, they're about, uh, they're about, what, 90 minutes apart from each other? Yeah. So, like, seriously... Wherever you are in the northern Illinois area, one of these two places will will do you. Mm-hmm. Because they're awesome. Our two, yes. our two friendly local gaming stores. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, oh, we got to read a little Black Dog here as we do this. Because uh, oh, yeah. we'll get Lindsay's a little bit later. But remember that it is the place for gamers. Whether you like miniature games, card games, board games, RPGs, they have it all. Check out Tuesday Night RPGs, Wednesday Night Modern Magic, Thursday Night Board Games, Friday Night AOS, and Saturday Warhammer! Exclamation point. Find us on Facebook at Black Dog Hobby and Games. Or them. I'm not them. Find them on Facebook at Black Dog Hobby and Games. And check out their game meetup group linked on the Facebook page. So awesome. Um... And let's not forget to thank our Patreon sponsors, our associate producers, Phil Elliott and Dwight Sims, our executive producer, Nick Neff-Pliotis. Did I tell you last episode that I met Nick? No. Oh, because that's right. I, oh, okay. Um, so uh, they had uh, Gift of Games, you know, where Harrison works. Yeah. Was, was having a miniatures, uh, miniature uh, gaming week. And like Brian Steele, who's been on the show a bunch of times, he works for Cool Mini or Not. Um, he yeah. he like was there in the evenings, like after hours, um, uh, Thursday and Friday, like doing like some painting lessons. And that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, Monday I did uh, some demos on Star Wars Legion, and then Tuesday we did uh, AOS demos, and then Wednesday we did uh, Shadespire, and. It was funny because, you know, the local GW is closed on, like, Monday and Tuesday. And I'm sitting there mm-hmm. doing demos of Legion, and dude walks in, and he looks kind of familiar, and he's got all this stuff, and he's going back there to paint because Gift of Games has you can set up to paint, too. Uh, they don't have, like, the big paint station like Lindsay's has with all the paint, but you could like, bring your own in, you know? And he's the guy, like, the manager at the GW because they were closed. He was in there. He was painting. And then this other dude walks in, and he's talking to him. And I thought they knew each other, and I, I guess they do. But then he comes over, and he's like, oh, hey, I'm Nick. Uh, you know, I heard on the show that you were going to be here, so I thought I'd come by and see what was going on. I'm like, oh, cool. And then he comes back on Tuesday, and he's hanging out again. We're talking. I'm having a great time with him, right? Like, I, he's just uh, this guy, and I don't, just a really good person, right? 
And so on Wednesday, I pull out one of the little GH business cards. I'm like, listen, because he does he paints. He doesn't have too many people to play with. And I'm like, I give him the card. I'm like, look, contact me. Uh, you know, get in touch with me because now that I know, you know, you're, if you're a local guy, next time we're gaming, I'll let you know. And he goes, oh, I've already got your email. I've 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 talked I've talked to you by email a couple of times. And I'm thinking, I don't know too many Knicks. And I'm stopping. I get up. I go to the restroom. While I'm in the restroom, I'm thinking, is this like our the Nick who's like a big sponsor of the show? I walk up like, what is your surname? And he's like, Nep. I'm like, S- why didn't you tell me it was you? Oh, I didn't. You know, I didn't want to make you feel obligated or nothing. Like, totally didn't like want to. You know, I don't want to be treated special because I donate to the show. I'm like, dude, come on. So like, he's like local, like. And he's a big sponsor on the. He's like the executive producer on the show. So, next time we're having a big gaming night, I'm going to have him come down. Yeah, for sure. That'd yeah, I know. So uh, it was it was cool, and dude. He's, and it was so funny because, like I said, I got to know him for a couple of days hanging out at the store before I knew who he was. And like, he's just really good people, just really nice guys. So, like, super jazzed to actually get to meet someone who thinks this show is worth this much. <laughs> he's crazy, but yeah. I like him. Um, okay. Oh, and uh, newest sponsors are Keir Etherton, and I know I spelled this right. I hope I pronounced it right. And David Hillstrom, and I think it's Hillstrom because I know the O's got an umlaut on it, so I think I pronounced that right. But thank you, everyone, every single person who has uh, who has decided to be a Patreon sponsor. You guys are the one percent who really make everything we're doing possible. Um, and I cannot thank you guys enough. So. Um, all right, real quick, we've got a couple of voicemails. We have voicemail, Alex. We have voicemail. We actually have voicemails. We have several, several. I didn't know we still had voicemail, let alone voicemails. Yes, we do, and you too, the listener, can send us a voicemail at one seven five seven GH show six. That's one seven five seven GH show six. Most international callers can dial zero zero one seven five seven GH show six. So call whenever and leave a voicemail because we love them and we play them. So um, this first one is from Dude Named Peter. That's what I got. So let's listen to this one. Hey, guys. My name is Peter. I'm from Louisiana. Uh, I'm just calling to ask a quick question about hobbying. Uh, I think recently you guys had said you were going to expand your hobbying aspect of the game. Um as a new player myself, I was wondering what kinds of resources and what kinds of places I can go to get that information and start expanding my hobby, specifically painting, basing, making scenery, things like that. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day, guys. Okay. All right. That was the first voicemail. You got any suggestions? I, mean, I have a couple, but off the top. How about we go with yours first because I think a lot of yours are going to be mine, too. Um, okay. Uh, well, if you if you're you know honest, actually, Twitter is pretty good for hobby. If you jump in there, uh, a lot of people oh. posting their stuff. I was just saying to see what people do. Ma- uh, Tyler Mangle, Mangle Miniatures. Uh, he has a lot of um, you know hobby tutorials on his blog. Uh, he also does a bunch for the uh, Warhammer Community yes. website. He does articles for them. Yeah, um, he, you know the Warhammer TV. Honestly, on YouTube, watching Duncan's yep. videos is really not bad at all. Uh, Vince Ventrella, Warhammer Weekly on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see he went to Gen I didn't even know he was at Gen Con. B- 
because that and place he cleaned is, up. Oh my goodness! He got like nine. He came out. I think what he got four gold medals, two silver medals, and then like three plaques, like best in show, best. Thing, yeah, he best got best in show for one of his pieces. Uh, but okay, over sixty. I don't have the numbers yet because I get them from the because I got I get I get it on a press pass. Woo-hoo, toot 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 toot. Um, and they I'll get from the people who run it. They'll send us the little press releases about the, what's going. Seriously, well over 60,000 people at Gen Con this year, okay? And and out of all those contests and all those painting contests, Vince won, like, everything. Like, it, bananas. How much? Well, the man's a machine. It's crazy. And I got a class with him. And honestly, the stuff he taught me in, like, two hours is amazing. Like, I'm, not only can he do it, but if you get a chance to sit down with him, He's really good at teaching it. So if you can catch his videos on mm-hmm. on on YouTube, that's a yeah, great Yeah, he resource. does a lot of those like hobby cheating is what he calls it, but it's the things that you need to see that really like step your game up. I know I've watched a few for oh. stuff that I've been working on. Yeah. All um, I know is if he's, if he's doing right. more classes at Adepticon next year, I'm taking them. I don't care what they cost. I'm getting signed in as fast as I can. I think Vince is planning on contributing again. Um, and then I'm in the works with some other people to add their name to the list of people doing seminars. But we'll keep that one under wraps. Um, if you are on Twitter, I'd also recommend Holy Hammer Hearn. Um, yeah, Hearn for is good. the work that he does, both with like just painting in general, the terrain that he makes every year for Holy Wars. He's building a uh, clan scryer themed table for this year. It's a warpstone refinery. Oh yeah. So just the man does a lot of good work and he's usually happy to help people with like, how do I do things? Um, there's a bunch of different basing guides that have gone around um, in the app uh, for the Citadel paint app. There's some different techniques. Um, so it, it's kind of, if you can start. find it on eBay, and you can usually find it not too expensive because it's kind of an older book, but honestly, they have that Citadel, How to Build War Game Terrain. Yeah. It's old, and it's got it's it's really basic stuff. I still have mine, though, because if you are lear- if you want to learn how to do that stuff, it's in there, and it's it's got some pretty straightforward stuff for beginning stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I said stuff like 28 times right there, but that's still- A few times. Yeah. But it's okay. But any of those uh, would be are, are any of those are great. Uh, you can look up any of the stuff. Um, like I said, Adam Trunzo also on Twitter. Uh, he does yeah. a lot of display board stuff, and he puts it together fast. Yes, Adam is also exceptionally talented. So, oh, yeah. I think Twitter is really like the easiest place to get started. Um, and then scroll through our follow feeds, and yeah, know. yeah, or even just. Just uh, you know, tweet at us and let us know. Hey, I'm looking for this stuff because then we can retweet it, and people who are there can you, you can just they'll be like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah. who are putting up hobby tips will just let you know. I'm I'm here. <laughs> I have lots of hobby tips. Take a look. Because sharing yeah. is caring. So yes. I think that's good. Uh, we got the next one from a uh, friend of the show, uh, Chuck. We all know Chuck. And uh, Chuck was playing with me at Gen Con, and um, Chuck Jardania. And hold on, I got his message right here. This is Chuck with ODG Gaming. 
we're putting out there, flatcon.com. It's a Central Illinois convention sponsored by menstomp.com with multiple one-day events. Friday night, Warhammer 40K Combat Patrol. Saturday, Warhammer 40K Retro RTT. Sunday, a Warhammer Age of Sigmar 2,000-point match play tournament. All events are sponsored by major sponsors. Grab bags include multiple bits, discount cards, and many wargaming measuring combat gauges. Additionally, Saturday we're going to be having a Shade Player Clash Grand Championship sponsored by Mini Stop. And a Kill Team event Sunday, October 14th. If you're interested, visit tabletop.events and search Flatcom. Again, it's a it's a camper-based convention. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a convention that benefits Relay for Life. So if you'd like to contribute to eliminating cancer and playing games, this is your stop. Again, tabletop.events. Search Flatcon. Register yourself and get on there for some Warhammer goodness. Thanks, and have a good day. Okay, Dan. Uh, just for the record Chuck um, what Chuck did there was Chuck was on his way to Gen Con and it was 4.30 in the morning when he was in his car driving and left that message so if it was a little hard to hear um, I'll try to get the info into the show notes Um, and Chuck if you want maybe call in when you're on a phone uh, on a line that people can understand everything you're saying and I'll play it again next episode because I know there's time left or just send me the info and I'll read it. Uh, I know he asked me and I said, call in, do it yourself. It's cool. I didn't think he was going to do it at, like while he's driving at four in the morning. So, Well, if you got to stay up on your way out to Gen Con. Um, but that is uh, FlatCon. It's October uh, 12th through 14th. And it's down in, I believe, Bloomington, Illinois, yep. which is a beautiful place if you've ever been. Um, so you can go ahead and check that out. they got a bunch of different events, small one-day events. I don't think there's a GT down there. But it's a whole bunch of different games, and like Chuck said, it's a Relay for Life uh, fundraiser type event. So if you're in the central Illinois area, uh, that would be a good place to stop by and get some gaming in. Yep. Okay, and now we've got one more. Okay, and it's another call, a different person, but literally I'm looking at Google Voice, and if it translated it properly, the first line is, sorry about the road noise. So, mm-hmm. Yes. All right, uh, let's see what we got here. Hey, sorry about the road noise. I'm calling on my drive. Uh, so I'm super excited about your coverage of Kill Team in this coming up episode. Wait, what? I thought they switched to Still Sigmar. Nighthaunts? Well, I like Nighthaunts. Um, so I'm super excited by, about your coverage of Nighthaunts in, in this upcoming episode. And please tell me why I'm an idiot in thinking that a night haunt Calvary list would actually be fun to play. Thank you very much. Bye. Well, since uh, since he asked, um, and since I can do this because it's one of the things, I don't know what a Calvary list is. Calvary is where they uh, where they uh, where they crucified Jesus, uh, but I know what a cavalry list is, and I think you could play a cavalry list in this. Uh, and still have fun with it, because you can play almost anything on this book and have fun with it, I think. 
Yeah, it's not like there's a whole formation called, like, the Death Riders, (laughs) designed specifically for cavalry. So. Yep. So, um, I don't know who that was. Um, (laughs) didn't leave a name. Uh, but, um, yeah, so we will get, we will get to that. And we will get to a whole lot more when we come back after the break. We will be back with a very truncated uh, everything else before jumping into Night Haunts. Mm-hmm. For an age, chaos ruled, corrupting the mortal realms as the minions of the Dark Gods ran rampant. Even as civilization was ground into ruin, a new hope was born. A new era began as the god-king Sigmar opened up the heavens and sent forth his stormcast eternals. They fought for order and for justice, and once more, civilization blossomed. Across the realms, oppressed survivors rose to join the battle. The shock of Sigmar's storm was mighty, yet the corruptions of chaos were deeply rooted. The foe was too numerous and too powerful for the god-king Stormhost to vanquish alone, and so he sought out other deities, hoping to forge a great alliance of order as there once was of old. From Shyish, the realm of death, the great necromancer Nagash gazed out from eye sockets long hollowed. Through many battles and hardships, the Supreme Lord of the Undead had endured the Age of Chaos. In the beginning, Nagash had fought side by side with Sigmar, but the God King had betrayed him. Even now, Sigmar spoke of justice while withholding souls that were Nagash's rightful due as Lord of the Underworlds. Never again would Nagash bow before another. He would show them the meaning of true order. As his machinations drew to their conclusion, Nagash came close to achieving supremacy. But chaos once again thwarted his ultimate mastery. Overcome with cold fury at the desecration of his final ritual, the great necromancer sent forth his undead legions, raising a new spectral host to lead his assault. And the mortal realms trembled. And we are back with the Garage Hammer News Network in brief. All right. Oh, boy. Okay. So, um, uh, if you're paying any attention at all, lots of stuff is coming out. Okay. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, I wanted to talk about real quick. Uh, episode 200 is coming up next month. And uh, with episode 200, there's going to be... Probably some changes to the show a little bit. Uh, we did it in episode 50. We did it in episode 100. We did it after AOS dropped. We're doing it again. Um, just small tweaks. Uh, small tweaks to the show. Trying to make the show a little better. Maybe appeal to a broader audience. Um, maybe uh, bring the show in at a, at a more reasonable time frame um, when we're doing things. So small tweaks. We will be announcing them probably next episode or in episode 200 um nothing too 
you know, freak out about, but we're just trying to streamline, trying to keep things a little more fresh for people. So, mm-hmm. uh, also, we've gotten a few emails and messages from people asking about episode 200. Like, what's the big celebration? What you guys going to be doing? And, uh, you know, we've, we've given it some thought. And, you know, people are like, oh, you're going to have guests on and people on. I'm thinking uh, I, I, it would be cool, but, like, to what end? You know what I'm saying? Like, we mm-hmm. could just have a bunch of people calling in and saying congratulations on episode 200. And uh, so then that would be a whole episode just uh, of us, you know, patting ourselves on the backs, which seems weird because there are other shows that have more than 200 episodes. Um, I mean, it is a milestone for us. I ain't going to downplay it. I'm pretty excited about hitting 200 episodes. Uh, But there's not much point unless we have a topic for people to speak on to be having a whole bunch of guests just calling in. Um, We're probably just going to have a regular episode. And uh, I was thinking we are going to have a contest, though. So that'll be the one special Ooh, thing. Contest. Oh yeah, simple contest. And and this will and this will actually fall right into the category of patting ourselves on the back. Um, we're going to do the same contest we did in episode one hundred. Um, like I said, it's just as self serving as anything else. Uh, so here's what it is: same thing we did in episode one hundred. What is your favorite thing from the show that uh, you know? Well. And we'll take it up until a few days before we record episode 200. So from episodes 1 to episode 199, what sticks out? What's your favorite thing? Um, I'm not telling you how to submit it. I mean, you can email us. You can voicemail us. You can send us stuff. um, Whatever you want, however you want to do it. Um, Just what was your favorite thing about the show? And we'll play some some of them. You know, depending on how many we get, we'll play some of them throughout the episode about what people's favorite thing is over the last eight years that we've been doing this. Almost eight and a half years that we've been doing the show. What's, you know, if you've been listening that long, God bless you. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, what sticks out for you. Um, now, like I said, I'm not saying how you have to do it because I encourage people to be creative, you know. Um, so we're going to have two winners. One we're going to choose at random, so that way everybody's got a shot. So even if you think, oh, I'm not going to put in anything special, or I, I just was going to call in and leave a voicemail, but I don't No, there's one random winner, so everybody's got an equal chance to win that one. And then the second one, we're just going to pick our favorite. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you what the criterion are, because I don't know what you guys are going to send in. So so to, uh, to, you know, to paraphrase uh, Ed Meese, uh, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'll know it when I see it. So um, that's kind of what we're going to do. We'll have two winners. What are you going to win? I don't know. And why don't I know? Because I am going to do it for the first time. We're just going to dip into the prize closet. Like I have, We still have one? Oh, dude, I have so much stuff that, like, I just have lots of stuff. You have okay? stuff? Yeah, well, you know, people will give us games to demo from other companies. We have, I've, I've still got, I've, I think I've got about 30 or 40 boxes of Mantic Zombies. I've got just, I've got stuff. Like, I have prizes that, you know, we had for things, stuff we want. I mean, there's just, so when you win, I will send you a list. And you just pick what thing from that you want. And it'll be pretty nice. I mean, we've got stuff from, like I said, stuff from boxes of zombies, uh, old blisters of things, um, I, I think I got a I think I got a battalion of like an army I don't play sitting in here somewhere. You know, copy of Rune Wars, copy of other stuff. Like I got stuff. 
So I'll send you a list if you win, and, and you can pick the thing you want from the list. Um, there will be two winners, so I will send them out at the same time, and whoever gets back to me first gets first dibs. That's that's the one thing I'm doing. So, um, but there's 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 some good stuff in there. It's not I'm like it's not just old copies of uh, Dreadfleet, you know. Um, I would actually go for a copy of Dreadfleet. You want see. one? I think I have two. Do you want one? <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Okay, because. Yeah, because I think I have two. So, um, but that's what we're doing. That's uh, that's the contest. Cool. So, uh, and you will have uh, about a month because uh, we're going to announce it when we record episode two hundred, which should be that first week of September. So you have mm-hmm. all of August to get it done. Uh, okay, and that's it um, for the news. In fact. Um, yeah, because we got to cut this because we got to get to we got a lot to cover. Yeah, and that's that ain't a joke. Yeah, in fact, I uh. was going to talk about that. I had played some. I, I played in a one day tournament at Gen Con, and I had a fun time. We ain't got time to cover it this episode, though. I'll probably cover it in the Gen Con Garage Gamer, which we're recording like this weekend, and I'll probably, probably talk idea. about it there. Uh, I may, I may. Uh, uh, maybe just record that with Harrison, or I may have you come in just on a quick call if I got uh, if you got a few minutes. So that way, when I'm talking about, because if I talk about the games with Heather, her eyes are going to glaze over, and she'll be like, "I have nothing to add. I don't know what you're talking about." Sure. So okay, and I know you have something to plug. So yeah. Uh, so two things. Like I've been up to a lot of tournament planning because reasons. Uh, so real quick, Dragonfall for the AOS Championship that has sold out, I believe. So we are working on a waiting list. So the more people that we have get on this waiting list, the more likely that we can add those spots. So if you are interested and want to play in Dragonfall, that's October 19th through the 21st in Elmhurst, Illinois, go ahead and check them out, dragon-fall.com. Um, and then I've also been working with a wonderful gentleman uh, down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, uh, to help put together the tournament pack for the Hub City Realm Rumble. This is at HubCon in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Um, so you can go ahead and check that out on Facebook. Uh, I believe there's a sign-up there for that as well as, um, what you call it, uh, a link to the website, which has all their rules and everything like that. This is September 14th, again, in Hattiesburg. It's a Friday night, one-day event. Uh, four rounds, I believe, 1,000 points. Um, so if you're down in that neck of the woods, uh, please go ahead and check that out. Yes, yes. All right. Um, so, you know what? Let's, let's, uh, let's forge on. Let's just, let's go. Let's jump into Night Haunts, shall we? Yeah, sure. Because, you know, spirit on too. (laughs) (sighs) All right. First impressions? Um, I, I'm kind of torn about it, because part of it is a really, like, comically ironic type thing, in terms of the punishment that Nagash mets out, uh-huh. and then it's also kind of sad that this is your fate. So, I don't know. That's what I absolutely loved about this as I was reading it. It's like you get to see sort of into how these things work in the uh, in the in the realm of death, 
And talk about petty. For an immortal god, talk about petty. He's well, the we've worst. we've talked about how petty and megamaniacal uh, Nagash is before. This is the manifestation of that pettiness. Yeah, but now you get to see how bad it is. I, okay, I first, when I saw this coming out, now the models are great. Like, we all saw the models in Soul Wars, and I'm like, this is amazing. But I looked at it, and it's like, okay, so the whole shtick is that the whole army's ethereal. Right? So the whole army's ethereal. It's all spirits. There's some pretty cool stuff in there. I'm like, I'll like it. I'll enjoy it. It might be a nice little addition to the Legions of Nagash, which I'm working on. I'm already working on a dead army. As I go through this, I could totally see just playing a Nighthaunt army. Yeah. Like, I like the Nagash army, and I'm building the skeletons, and I could add stuff from here to it. But it's only the stuff that comes in the starter set anyway. Um, Without being allies, I mean. Yeah. But the more I read this book, the more I kind of want to put together Lady Alinder mm-hmm. and the other guys and just run a straight-up Night Haunts army because the story in here, this is just, I like this a lot. I've always liked Undead, but this is, uh, this is like going through Dante's Inferno. And just seeing how all the people are being punished in the afterlife for the way they were in the real life. Yeah. Except it's just to a a, a horribly ridiculous degree. Mm-hmm. I I love it. So uh, yeah. Plus it's, the models. Oh. Yeah, the models are ridiculous. Um, just in terms of sheer quality of the miniature, they've captured the ghostly uh, quality without being cartoonish and I don't know it's one of those armies that has a lot of different ways you can play it and the models are very quick to paint uh-huh. or very time consuming depending on how you're placed on how you paint so this is one of those armies that's great for beginners but also a good challenge for experienced hobbyists so this is this is the death equivalent I think to Stormcast. And yeah. it's, I don't think it's you know coincidental that they come out with new books at the same time. Because this is very much, I feel like this is the alternative for players to get started into this hobby. Is Night Haunt? Yeah, because you could literally do the whole thing with the with just the death colors, you know, the base, the death color, the wash, and a highlight. Or and- you can prime white, do the ghost technical of your choice. And then do one or two successive dry brushes and maybe another glaze, and you're done. Like that's the army done and dusted. If you want to, yeah, you could literally make everybody just completely specter, spectral. You know, just that green glowy go through. Or you can go and add the dark capes and the different things to it. Um, yeah, this is an army that you can do to your specifications. You can crack this out quickly. You can take a long time on it, and. It's going to be a good on you, regardless. Yeah, it's it, it's just the the theme. Like all of these models go together, and they go together well. Like they all fit. Even the stuff from the previous, like the spirit hosts and the hex wraiths and stuff we already had, the banshees. They all fit with what's here. And yeah, the, and, and they go ahead. They even said in like the development of the process for the Night Haunt, they looked at the Tomb Banshee and the Wraith 
the Cairn Wraith, the original plastic one. Right. For very similar aesthetics and look to them. So, like, the Grim Gas Reapers look very similar to that Cairn Wraith, the plastic one. Right. Um, same with the Hex Wraiths. The only thing that doesn't jive for me in here is the Morngold. The Morngold? Yeah, from it, Forge World. Oh, is, is he part of this? He's a Night Haunt, yeah. Oh, he is a Night Haunt. Okay. But his aesthetic is so wildly different from what these guys are. Because he's very much that gory right. type phantasm, whereas these guys are the condemned or the but hunters. But you could paint him up to look like them, and it could probably You could. Work. It's just, for me, his look doesn't jive with this aesthetic. I see what you're saying. But. Yeah, the only thing that didn't, that they did, um, that they replaced was the black coach. Which now is, I can't, I'm picking mine up on Saturday and I can't wait. That is a model that has been begging for an update. And I owned two of them back in the day when I played Vampire Counts. They I were used... my favorite, not, well, model-wise it was okay, but my favorite unit in my Vampire Counts army. And I didn't get to play them that often because, you know, I was playing all them zombies, but... <laughs> But I stuck yeah. it in whenever I could because just the whole concept of how it works and what it is, I adore. Mm-hmm. And now they gave it a worthy model because that thing is sharp. Yes. So uh. That could, you know, we've said, and I've said this so many times about like model of the year candidates. You look at Marathi, you look at the Eidolon, now you're looking at the Black Coach, you're looking at the Torlon, except for the crazy distended jaw thing. Like, just the quality of the models that we've seen this year have been absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, at the end of the year when we do our top and bottom three, it's going to be hard to not just pick three models. Yeah. I mean, between the models and all the new books and the new set, like, I don't... Honestly... I could foresee going with a top five and not doing a bottom. Yeah, because I'm not seeing a bottom. No. <laughs> no. No, you're not. And that's that's bonkers. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I like everything about this. The more I covered this, the more I'm so glad we were covering this before Stormcast. Um, I have a lot of Stormcast, and I love my Stormcast, but I'm growing a little tired of the Stormcast because that's the only thing I have done on round basis, so it's all I've been playing for like three years. Yeah, and, I, I hear you. Oh, this is, and I love them. Don't get me wrong. I love them. But sometimes you need to break it up, and this is. This is so good. And I mean, I, I was already going with death anyway. But this could be part. Some of it can be part of my other death army, or I can just run this alone, and I'm just excited. Mm-hmm. All right, so should we jump into the book? Yes, we should. All right, so um, we get into that which haunts the night. Okay, let's just start with the intro here because it's good. All right, a fell wind is rising from the dark. It's Oh, God, I messed it up already. A, a fell wind is rising. From the darkest pits of Shyish, the realm of death, comes a storm of ethereal figures. 
An eerie mist spreads before them, blotting out the sun. They muster upon corpse-strewn battlefields or ancient burial grounds, a ghostly army of phantoms. They're the supernatural, the dead, the damned, the night haunts. Sustained by a fathomless hatred for the living, these wraiths fight to send fresh souls screaming down into the dark realms from whence the dead emerged, taking cruel pleasure in knowing the torments that await their victims below. It's like, all right, and and by the manner of their death shall ye know them. And know that is so true. Uh Because as I'm looking at this, it's like this is... The Night Haunts, I mean, we know they're ghosts, and we know that they're attacking the living, but they hate the living. And the the different units, the different forms they take, all are some sort of reflection of how they were in life, either how they lived or how they died. And, or the crimes they committed. Right. More so. Uh-huh. And it says, you know, some are cursed by the dark man or their deaths. Uh, and the perpetrator of these eternal torments is none other than Nagash. Um, he finds the twisted irony he's inflicted in them to be poetic justice. His vindictive nature, limitless spite, and unfathomable ego have created the most terrible of spirits, geists, and wraiths. Yes. And, and we're going to you know, see that throughout this book and then even reading into Soul Wars, the Black Library accompaniment. The Night Haunts refer to Nagash as a god of justice because he is the final justice, and that's a very like Egyptian quality. Yeah. Um, with regards to the wing, your heart against a feather once you enter the underworld. Nagash does kind of the same thing because there aren't not every spirit that goes down to Shaiish ends up as a Night Haunt, so don't think that that's the case. But there are other spirits that live in Shayish that exist that are not night haunts because they've not either committed a crime or ran afoul of Nagash's addictiveness. Although it seems very easy to run afoul well, of him. Yes. To slight Nagash is essentially like sneezing. But right. there are still spirits that exist that are not a part of the processions because, again... His is justice. So if there's, if all of these are the guilty, by default, there have to be ones that are innocent. Right. Yeah. So, because as I was reading this, I was like, wow. How, like, but then, you know, there's plenty of people who go off to the afterlife and just go off to their afterlives. Um, and I if suppose. Left. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but they're, but they're, when it, even in here, when it talks about he's conquered all these different underworlds that exist within the realm. But those underworlds still have living people, and they have the souls of the departed that have gone on to their final rest in that, you know, in that realm. I mean, so some people have gone on. There are people who have passed on and gone on to normal lives. I'm certain if he needs them, he'll just call them up into the skeletons or the zombies or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how much of those spirits actually go back in there or how much he just reanimates the corpses. Uh, that's not exactly clear. But, yeah, I think the corpses stay in whatever realm that they died in. It's the spirit animus that falls down into Shayish. Okay. But aren't there... Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. There wouldn't be any corpses. But he has skeletons in 
Shyish, because they're walking and grabbing the little bits of Realmstone. But though, uh, but though, oh, though, oh, those would be the people who live there. So there would be people there. If you live mm-hmm. in in Shyish, you're going to die in Shyish. So he could use some of those too. Yeah, um, and never mind the war torn battlescapes or whatever. So all of those corpses are easy picking for him. Right. Yeah, that's true. So let's jump in. So uh, their armies are known as processions. Which I like that, just this, you know, this, like a funeral procession. Uh, or a wedding procession. Or a wedding procession, yes, because it could be joy or sorrow, but it's still all of them marching along together. Um, it is both a physical and a psychological onslaught. You have to be brave to stand up to seeing just all this undead spirits coming at you, many of them screaming, howling unintelligibly, coming towards you, um, Plus just the aura they give off, especially when we get over to Lady Alinder, whose aura of grief just cripples people when she's a, when she's in the, you know, in town, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, before the Necroquake, everybody had stories about ghosts and spirits and haunted places, um, different realms. I mean, there were ghosts and spirits haunting places. Uh yeah, there were like specific hauntings or um, just isolated incidences of a night haunt possession or um, inhabitants. But right. now this is kicked up. Yeah. I mean, you'd sometimes you'd find necromancers or vampires that had, you know, grabbed a few. So outside of the skeletons and zombies, you'd get a couple of wraiths or, or a couple of banshees maybe show up, but not much, but they'd grab a few. Now that they're just, they're literally everywhere. Like with the, with the Necroquake, there's a ton of them. And Nagash has basically started, I mean, <laughs> much like Sigmar opened up a new chamber, mm-hmm. Nagash has basically started a whole new wing of his legions here with this. Yes. Led by Lady Olinder, the new Mortark. Yes. Who is awesome, and we'll get to that. Yeah, and for Nagash, these guys are sudden, like, shock troops, so very much kind of the, again, the effectiveness of Stormcast was that they are shock troops, the random and speedy deployment that they've always been known for. These guys had a different dimension to the dead, because the dead have always been the slow, plodding, March, and this is relentless speed. They're not encumbered by anything, and the ability to pass through walls and barriers—that is a new, terrifying element. And to death army being now. spirits, they literally—I mean, there's literally later on here. It talks about how they just appear, like they literally mm-hmm. just go from they're not there to boom, they're there. They can travel yes. underground, so you don't see mm-hmm. them. And all of a sudden, boom, there they are. And then they're fighting, and they either wipe you out, or if they start to lose, boom, there they go. Yep. You don't know where they're going to come from next, what's going to happen. They're horrifying. Yeah. It is the army of terror is really what this is. And that place, that's what a ghost should be. Yes. Realistically. This should be something that scares you, that is random, that is unpredictable. And that's what this is. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I now they're also now this book seems kind of short to me, um, but maybe that's compared to that giant t- 
tome of a Stormcast book we just got and yes. the giant tome of a new rule book we just got. Um, but this does spend some time filling out some interesting stuff. Uh, I like, uh, if you get to the Restless Dead, I'm on pages 8 and 9 here. It talks about undeath, and it talks about the people who study death, necromancers and stuff. There are three main ways to create undead, and I like that they list it out. It's like, wait a minute, what? And so they give you, first and most common is the enslavement of the deceased remains, the necroevocus, zombies, skeletons. There's no life in it. You're just basically raising, literally raising the the dead. There's no personality, no thought. Zombies, skeletons, mindless, just pushed forward by the will of the person summoning them. Mm-hmm. That's the first way. Then there's the ne- necroprocratus. Procratus. Oh, procreate. I get it. The necroprocratus. When a zombie bites you, you get infected, you die, you're a zombie. That's that second way. So I can summon them up, and they're, they're just the mindless things that I use with my will. They can infect and bring more. The third way is the necromeledictus. That is the eldritch curse cast upon a soul that has been recently separated from its physical body. Um, That's the stuff we're seeing here. Yeah, this is the pulling, the the giving up the ghost, as it were. (laughs) I I see what you did there. Uh, Most from the collegiate arcane think that all of this stuff started with Nagash, and considering how old he is, they could be right. Mm-hmm. If there was anyone doing this before him, we got no records of it. Um, but basically, uh, it's it's his spells that do this. What is what I really liked in this section is it talks about how there's lots of different type, like you know, there there's there they can be as individual as we are, depending on the circumstances of their life, their death, and how they're brought back. However, a great majority of them fall into one of about a dozen categories, specific types of wraiths, like the chain rasp hordes and things like that, uh, all that and they're they're put into these um, by Nagash. And uh, where's this part right here that I really... Uh, it's Nagash is behind the cruelties. He's unforgiving to a degree that mortal kind cannot fathom. However, he does not mete out punishments out of the boredom of eternity, nor does he play with souls for amusement. Such concepts are anathema to the great necromancer. He doesn't get it. Like He's not doing this because he's bo- he doesn't understand boredom. He doesn't understand amusement. Like He doesn't have emotions, human emotions anymore. And that's what I love it when it says we can't fathom it. Well, we kind of can't. No, you can't. And this guy literally punishes you for eternity. And when you think of eternity, you're like, oh, okay. You know, maybe he'll forgive you after a couple thousand. No, he never forgets. He never forgives. He is petty. Uh, To his cold yet orderly mind, the macabre penances to which the night haunts are subjected are justice. For there's not a single mode of mercy within his being. To the god of death, mortals that attempt to escape fate or thwart his designs deserve the very harshest of dooms. And that's who he is. He just, mm-hmm. yeah. Everybody in this book either offended him because they went against him or offended him because they didn't give him enough praise. And so he's like, guess what? You're going to suffer forever. Yeah. And it's just, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's two box outs in here that we should probably mention, the hatred of life. 
um, which is the one thing that all these things have in common. And it's either like they're embittered by the curse of their afterlife. So now they want to met that bitterness out on others um, because they have what the night haunt don't, which is life. And it's a jealousy more than anything, or they are goaded to destroy all that still draws breath. Some are even mistakenly convinced what they're doing will earn them a reprieve from the torments of Nagash. Wrong. And absolutely wrong. But that's not who he is. Or it's the hatred of the living. Uh, like the Herodans, and we'll come to them, they're still aware of what they're doing, but they can't control what they're doing. Like these are healers, people that try to help others, and their curse is to go around and just slash people to tiny pieces, and they're still aware of it. So they still feel all of that pain that they tried to prevent from happening. Now they get to experience that for the rest of eternity. Uh huh. So That's good. Nagash. Um, and then the other is a design aesthetic that I don't think uh, a lot of people caught on to is all the flowers and the thorny briars that we've seen with all of the basing on these guys. Lady Olinda is covered in them. Uh, same with the coach. And it's pain is what it is. It's the eternal pain and cruelty of their existence. Um, and then obviously the rose that grows on the thorny briar um, further denotes death, tragedy, and bleakness. So like, it's one of those things that you don't think of a flower to be associated with a ghost or death or anything, but we put out flowers at funerals, and this is taking that to its ultimate end, I think. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, there's so much flavor in this book with all those little bits. Mm-hmm. Um, let's quickly cover something wicked this way comes and then take a break. Uh, a lot of this part right here is repeat of stuff we know. Yes. Um, you got the talks a little bit about how night haunts have um, more influence and more animus than little poltergeist or apparitions because these guys have been they've been tortured. By Nagash to and and they retain more than a poltergeist um, because he's making them mean. He's making them as mean and bitter as as possible. Um, it talks about Nagash's big plan, which we've talked about before. Uh, it talks about the skeletons going and getting the the uh, little specks of the realm stone and bringing them back. It uh, talks about him using the grave sand uh, and mountains of it to make the the Black Pyramid, the inverted Black Pyramid. Um, it talks about how during malign, all these malign portents caused all these armies to come in and try to attack him. Now, there is I don't think it's in this part, but later on it's going to talk about the Shyish Nadir, which I did want to talk about. Uh, and then there was the Necroquake. Uh, and the explosion was even beyond his ability to control. And that just sent a wave of death magic over everything, which made all the dead rise and the specter. And it really loosed these night haunt. All of these ghosty specters, a lot of them were just being sort of tortured in their graves, or, you know, 
or in whatever whatever their where that grave their grave connects, you know, their where their dead body sort of connects to the realm of death. That's where they or the were. oubliette. There was a bunch in there right. that got loosed. Um and so as that giant wave of death magic comes out, it sort of shakes everything loose and suddenly they're everywhere. Um oh here it is. In Shyish, the Great Black Pyramid absorbed so much amethyst magic it began to sink, buckling the underworlds in a whirlpool of downward pulling energy. So was the Shyish Nadir born, drawing all souls toward it, not even Nagash could master its energies. I'd like to know a little bit more about this. And it mentions it in the book in a couple of spots, but like this seems pretty bad. Like, pretty dangerous. Like, because he can't even stay around it too long. His Mortarks can't stay around it too long. And it sounds like it's like just drilling a hole. And it's, It sounds like the old Vortex in uh, in the world that was. How What that did with magic, it sounds like it's doing this to all the, just all the undead everything in the realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it goes beyond that uh, for its turns of impact. But you're talking about the vortex that the high elves and the slan put together to right kind of shrink the impacts of the vortex of the uh, polar gates right uh, and here it's just sucking everything in and when it gets too close it literally pounds you into nothingness mm-hmm. it's it just it just you, you it 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 basically crushes you out of existence so talk about the realm of death and the re- and the true end there's the true death coming right there um, it's kind of creepy and weird. But while all that's going on, we can start talking next. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about um, the rise of the wraiths and the realm of death itself and a little bit about what's been going on before we get into all the cool information about the new units and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll be right back. Folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. We are back, and we are back, back with the rise of the wraiths. Uh, so during the Necroquake, he witnessed... Okay, this is an interesting part. Um, it talks about how he sees what these things can do. Um, pro- for, okay, first problem with the Night Haunts 
is that they would attack stuff and they would wreck it. And then before delivering the final blow, they would get distracted. They literally just hate people. They weren't looking to trash the town or destroy things. They were just looking to torture living people. So they would often get dis- they didn't they wouldn't they wouldn't go after the right targets. I mean, um, it, this reminded me of when you're playing a really bad AI in like a computer game, how you could throw things in and distract it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's it, it's not it's not playing smart. It's playing by this pre-programmed set of. Uh, you know, of of desires, you know, it's just going to go after clusters of people. And after it, you know, drives back an army, if there's other people hiding in their homes, it'll just go after them because it just, it hates people. It doesn't, it's not looking for tactical things. It's just looking to cause, uh, cause pain. Yeah. And it's not organized. These are just frenzied attacks um, that have no, real like marshal anything to them it is strictly just acting out their hate and their spite but there's no driving force for them there's no way to con- like i don't know direct it i think is the word because all they want to do is lash out right and that's what he needs a new mortark for yes exactly and so we get this search for this new mortark um there's an interesting bit here that I really, and I say, I keep saying that because there are so many cool things in here. Because once again, this is new. This reminds me of when I was reading uh, Flesh Eater Courts and things like that, where it's stuff that I felt familiar with, mm-hmm. but that it's adding some a new level, a new a new layer of insight. Uh, how uh, Nagash is impressed with that psychological effect. How the Night Haunt armies, the people lose their will to fight. How they're terrified. How eventually they just can't keep going. And it says, in truth, Nagash had forgotten the notion of fear, for it had been ages since he had felt it. Um, And it talks about this, and it was a rare mistake and one he would not repeat. So he's looking for a commander, and he's gone through all of these different champions and fighters and all these people in his realms who are at his beck and call, and nobody works. And then he finds the Veiled Lady. And... This is a great story. Um, do you did, do you want to take part of this? I'm sort of in that second, the top of the second column on page thirteen. Was it? Did you have this marked or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to talk about Olinder. I would say she's the Mortark, but also who she was, um, and she she is she's a black a widow, a black widow, uh, as they might call her, of the worst sort. She is. She marries for power. She kills those that she marries, you know, after she has what she needs from them. Um, but she's just way worse than that. Um, leaving a trail of ruined suitors and deaths under mysterious circumstances. Uh, so, so great was her appeal. She winds her way upward, winning the hearts of nobles, and then eventually the Dolorum Prince himself. Um, her betrothal ended on the very night when the prince and his father, the high king, disappeared. In their absence, she became the ruler, and she she puts on a good show here. Yeah, she takes to wearing a veil to uh, vow to mourn her missing prince and king. She takes to wearing the veil, and she becomes known as the mourning bride or the unrequited queen. 
Now, she's not married the prince, so she's not even, like, technically the ruler, but she still takes over, and people fall for it. They fall for her misery, and it's the pity, um, and all the shows of remorse. Like, she turns even, like, the coldest hearts to taking her in, and she's just faking this grief so much to maintain power. And... And underneath that veil, she's smiling and laughing to herself as she keeps acting like she's full of grief. Um, But then the Age of Chaos starts, and everything's getting wrecked. Uh, There's plague going around. People are dying. Everyone but her. And she couldn't care less. She knows no grief. They they feel like she's a grieving widow or widow-to-be, or or she was a bride-to-be, because she was betrothed. She wasn't even married yet, was she? No. And... She she is so distraught over this that people, but she's not. She feels she's a psych. She's a sociopath, and probably a psychopath. Um, well, yeah. I mean, seriously, how she has no feeling for any of this stuff. But she totally puts on these airs, and meanwhile, doesn't care at all. And the thing is, in this town, the the Empire of Dolorum, they had worshipped Nagash. I mean, they were in the land of Shaisa. They were smart enough. They worshipped him. Um, the worship of him stopped when she took control. Why? Because she doesn't worship anyone but herself. And as everything's dying out, she couldn't care less, and she didn't feel any problems with it. And so Nagash was just pissed because these people worshipped him, and she not only let them all die callously, um, but she just couldn't care less, and she never paid him the proper respect. And she also attempted to parlay with the agents of Nurgle, which oh, that's if right, you that's understand right. what Nurgle is, Nurgle is life unbound, even more than like Sylvaneth or anything. It is the constant cycle of life, and to him, death is an and then and then what is that word? Antithema. Antithesis. Yeah, because death is final, whereas Nurgle takes joy in the cycle of life, even in death. Oh, that's right, because when things die, then the the, the the gross stuff bursts to life from it, right? Yes. So that, in addition just to all the crimes that she's committed, that is heresy he, he had beyond it. anything. That is the triggering moment for him. So he then claims her... And becomes the veiled lady, a specter burdened to feel all the miseries of the mortal realms and haunt the ruins of Dolorum. Think about that for a minute, though. That How- is a lot of weight. Yes. I mean, we talked that there's these eight realms, and we've learned about a couple of cities and a couple of empires within each of them. And there's so many untold more. All of the grief. everyone's. I mean, think of the pain and suffering you suffered in your whole life. Now dump that times of a couple billion on her. It's crushing. Mm-hmm. And she has to learn to deal with it. And she ha- and not only does she learn to deal with it, she turns it into strength and winds up taking over the spirits in this area. Yeah, they become drawn to her because yeah. of her aura of grief. Well, yeah, and that's part of it is that they, uh, you know, they're drawn to the to pain and suffering, and she 
suffering like nobody else. Uh, and what does she do? She she uses her power and and puts them in their place and and takes over and they are they're hers to control. And so when when Nagash sees this, he's like, and he had forgotten about her. She'd been a few hundred years, like you know, but hadn't thought about her. But then he comes across her and see what she's done with this, you know, with, with the punishment, how she's turned it into something she can use. He's like, oh, that's it. So what does he do? He gives her some of his own power, calls her the Mortark of Grief, and said, now you have to unite all the Night Haunts and you'll be leading them. And that's just fantastic. And look at this picture on page 14. You on page 14 by any chance? Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I love how she's there in front of him. First of all, how large he is. You get to really get a sense because she's about human size underneath all that, you know, that stuff. But then you see the Night Hunt army coming behind her, and they're not just following her. There's like this little spectral chain. Yeah, there's a tether there. Yeah. She doesn't just control them. She's got them on a leash. Mm -hmm. And she brings them to him. This is so cool. Um. And what is it? What is it here? Um, oh, yeah. And that's when all the spirits. Now, once she gets named, all of these spirits that were running around willy nilly, like we talked about earlier, they all hear her cries. They all hear her wailing, her grief. And it's like a beacon. And they're just going to her. Yeah. She's the one that actually calls all of these night haunts into Shaish, into Nagash's Ark, not Nagash. Yeah. It's her. And she becomes that beacon, and then she takes this mass uh, spectral swarm and divides it into armies, assigning a knight of shrouds to each to lead each warhost, gives them a job, and they all go. And all of and, this, I love this, all of this was conducted in a morbidly ceremonial fashion of ghostly processions. She had mm-hmm. them all marching in before him. Now, he could have done this. I'm certain he could have done this. I mean, he gave her just a piece of his, a sliver of his power, as it was wor- worded. And what her natural talents plus his power allowed her to do. I'm certain he could, but he can't be bothered. And she's good at it. Like, you know, she's great. In fact, it says in here at some point that the other Mortarks tried to sort of test her. Because they didn't necessarily like there being another one. But they're like, ooh, she's, she's, she's got power of her own. So, um, then it talks about uh, how they how they're fighting, how they show up sudden and terrible, attacking, uh, like you said, bypassing any sort of anything. It's just surprise attacks, boom, and uh, the battle's over in minutes. And uh, they don't. And when, when the battle's over, they don't stick around. They're not haunting the place. They're not doing any of those things. Everything here is dead. Let's go kill something else, and then they're gone. Boom. Uh-huh. And if it yeah, doesn't, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, like a, I dare hate to use the word, but like a blitzkrieg. It's just a lightning war. Yeah. It's strike hard, finish the job, move on. They're not caring about property or anything like that. They can leave that for the dead walkers or the death rattle hordes. This is, their job is strictly to kill. Mm-hmm. Kill them, send them down to Nagash. He can make use of them how he needs to. Mm-hmm. And it's just great, and yeah, well, and they don't need to eat, they don't need to rest. So any of that other stuff, once the people are dead, there's nothing for them. There's nothing for them to stick around for. 
Yeah, they're not burdened by anything. They don't have to slowly prod across the battlefield. They can just fly all over the place and met out justice, as it were. Now, there is one point where she was fighting, and not only did she start to lose, but they almost killed her. Yep. And Archon the Black and Nagash himself had to turn up to save her butt. Mm-hmm. And despite all of her victories, uh, Nagash had to show up to save her butt, which uh, which got her in a world of trouble. Because Well, it's not necessarily a world of trouble. Um, he just didn't want her to overstretch. He found her to be overly headstrong. So... She decided, or he decided to met out another punishment. Well, right, but was, I mean, she's winning all these battles. She's doing all this stuff for him, and he had to come save her bacon. And it's like, you know what? There's no once again, there is no forgiveness in him. There's no okay, you screwed up, but you learned your lesson. Don't do that again. Oh, you screwed up. Punishment time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then he, what he does to her and to the other guy is just great. I love this. Yeah. You got this? So, yeah. Yeah. So she used betrothal to climb to power. So she was then forced into a marriage with a would-be king who is every bit as ambitious as she. And that's where Nagash comes up with the specter of Kurdros Valentin or Valentian. Um, he is the same kind of thing. He conspired um, rather brutally to take control of power and... Nagash wouldn't let him take control. He let him. He, I believe, he killed him before he claimed he, him right at the he right time. Him. Yep. Yeah. So, so he couldn't take control. So now he is going to forever be the king that would not rule. He is bound to her, and now she is actually forced into the marriage that she never committed herself to. Yeah. She has to. I don't know if it's share power. But well, and I see, and it's a weird thing because it's like, how is it so much a punishment for her to be married to this guy? Although she always had to sort of, she always marries to move up, and this is not a move up. This is a you're in the same spot. But I mean, she's a spirit. Like, how is she going to marry some other spirit and raise up? You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like like the thing she used to get married for, she can't do anyway. But just to be tethered down to this guy, mm-hmm. because she would always, they would always die. Like, they would always, you know, she would just, I mean, because that's what I think. I think she's like a sociopath. Yeah, I don't you th- can't kill what's dead. Right. Especially one if it's bound to you by Nagash. And she doesn't care about anybody. And that was the whole thing. She didn't care. Like, people around her were dying. Hey, as long as she was okay, that's fine. And she, and, and she had everybody buffaloed. But she cared not one whit about anybody but herself. And now she's stuck with this guy. And that's her husband. And, I mean, I know they're ghosts and it's just a name or whatever. But now she's tethered to this guy who works to help her. And he doesn't like her because she's the one who's in charge. He is more of an advisor and a helper. He's more like an enforcer more than anything. Right. But, I mean, he's, he's, he's got a lot of... When we get to his story, you'll see he's got a lot of knowledge, a lot of tactical knowledge. He's he's a good tactician. He's a he's a good soldier, you know. And he could use that to take over, but he's not allowed to take over. You know what I'm saying? He's 
So I'm certain he helps her with some of this stuff if she ever needs it. But yeah, he's the enforcer. She sends him out. They they just I think they just resent each other. She doesn't want to be tied to this fool. And he can never be in charge, even though he's the king, because I guess he would be more of a duke where the king, queen is in charge, right? No, he's still a king. Right. Okay. But he's not in control. Right. King in name only. Yes. Oh, this is see, and this is once again so much petty nonsense. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't really like what you're doing, so I'm going to tie you down and force you into this marriage with this guy. So that'll keep you keep you sort of he'll keep you sort of in check because you know he'll go and report to Nagash immediately if she does anything he doesn't like because that's his mo is the backstabber and the guy. It's just like, oh, this is I love this, I really do. <laughs> uh, let's see, is there anything else here? Or do we jump to Shyish, the realm of death? We can jump to Shyish, I think. So, um, a lot of this is re- rehashed too. Yes, you know, um, you know, the, it basically explains how the realm works. How when you die, if you come from a nation with a specific belief system, whatever you believe is in the afterlife, that afterlife will manifest itself there, and you will go there. Um, although now this deep pit in the, the Shyish Nadir, this wasn't there until he did this, right? I mean. Yeah, this was uh, created as a result of his granite ritual to draw all of the amethyst magic into the center of Shayish. And he now coalesced it into the Black Pyramid. The thing starts to spin, drawing all the energy inwards, and thus creating the funnel that becomes the Nadir. Which he didn't intend, because he intended to channel that power and kind of control it all, but because of the screw-up, mm-hmm. then that happens. So it's drawing all things that are near to it. It operates not on gravity, but magic, like you said. As a civilization declines and disappears, as its empires crumble, so eventually do their underworlds. Um, It talks about the people who live there, how they're very superstitious. They have their stuff to keep an eye out for the undead. It talks about how uh, at some point Nagash was beaten. I like how when when Archeon beats Nagash... He has to go into his, you know, into his his sanctuary to recover, and they couldn't find it because you can't travel through all the underworlds and all the little twists and turns unless you're really got a deep understanding of necromancy, and they don't. The demons don't. So, so he could just kind of like he's he's able to hide out for hundreds, if not a thousand years, while he's re- reforming um, without them finding him. And uh, and then the Age of Sigmar starts, and when the Age of Sigmar starts, that's when he is fully formed back, and he goes out, and he starts attacking chaos as well. Uh, and then there's the Necroquake happens, and that you know we we've talked about all of this. The, he does the 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 long plan. He you know um, he rebuilds Nagashazar and uh, does all this stuff. It says, I love this, the nadir is so incredibly rich in amethyst magic, even Nagash cannot dwell there indefinitely. It's a place of insanity as well as death. Even most ancient vampires and liches feel the compacted nothingness of pure ending crushing upon them. That's the deathscape of changeless eternity. It's from here that Nagash launches his endless streams of invasions. It's just, ugh, this, this is so cool. I like this so much. So, 
Uh, and then we don't get a we don't get a space timeline. We get a standard. We get a, yeah, we get a standard list of the stuff that's happened. Lots of cool highlights here. Anything that stands out to you? Uh, from the Age of Sigmar, the first one that I got was the Briar Queen. Oh, okay. And this is something that is new that I'm aware of, um, which is the Briar Queen, who is the nemesis of the cursed city of Shadespire is unleashed by Nagash to menace other lands. She is tasked with claiming certain souls that have cheated Nagash. Um, with the aid of her special army, the Thorns of the Briar Queen, she visits each of the mortal realms, always bringing back her target soul. Um, between <laughs> missions, the Briar Queen returns to Shadespire, for her need for vengeance there remains unsatisfied. And that is something that hasn't been introduced in any of the Shadespire background, to my knowledge. Nope. So that's why that one stuck out to me. That one's cool. Um, a lot of the stuff in this timeline talks about how if you live in Shayish and you worship Nagash, if you pledge yourself to Nagash, if you run cult, different death cults, um, you, then when you die, you'll just you you can go and have a you can usually go on and and have a peaceful death. Uh, if you're like Shadespire. Where you don't have enough respect for him, then he, then you're in a world of trouble. Um, and then it goes through different lists of things. Uh, you know, there's a group of heroes who put down their swords. They will fight only for a cause, never for pay. So what does he do? Oh, you're not going to fight. All right, fine. Now you're going to be. You're going to. If someone will pay the soul price, you don't care who it is or who they're sending you against. You'll do it. Um. What else does he do? Oh, this is talks about how he finds out Sigmar and other people are holding back souls, so he's got to be mad. Um, what else jumped in here that I that uh, I noticed? It talks about when he was defeated by Archon. I mean, Archeon. No, I keep saying Archon. I'm wrong. Um, I like how after he's defeated by Archeon, he has to hide. During this time, only the Night Haunts are effective in fighting him. Uh, even the Mortarks are hiding. Because without him, they don't have enough power. But the Night Haunts can just keep going because what do they care? Mm-hmm. Um, now, when the Age of Sigmar strikes, I like the Battle of Asia. Yep. Um, you know, the Stormcast drop in to, to fight to get Chaos out of there. Um, the Undead show up because they're trying to fight Chaos out of there. They kind of fight side by side. They clear out Chaos. The Stormcast leave. Uh, but Nagash curses everyone that all the spirits and everyone left from Asia. Why? He's he will not forgive them for allowing themselves to be conquered. You lost. You should have kept fighting. You should have not let them take over and wreck my stuff. You're punished. It's like wait a minute. They got overrun by chaos. Nope. Punished. Uh, then the Necroquake happens. You talked about that. Like I said, some of this is just repeats. Oh, I like the Cloud Raiders. The Dwarden, are, there's Dwarden and Shias just sort of floating up in the sky, gathering stuff. Nobody really notices them. You know, they're gathering up their ether gold. They got noticed. Baroness Raven Black and her Blackguard procession. Uh, the Dwarden are swept over by packs of Dread Scythe Herodons. Uh, one by one, the guns of the Caradron fall silent and their ships plummet from the sky. 
Um, and the other thing I like is where they talks about how they team up with uh, flesh eater courts at times mm-hmm. against common enemies. But as soon as they win, they kill all the flesh eaters, or as they put them, they destroy. They turn upon the vile cannibals and destroy them also. You're not just. They're still technically living, yep. even though. And on top of that, you're disgusting cannibals. Like, you eat your own. How, how wrong are you? So, like, these things who hate everything living have a special hatred for cannibals. That's just, there's so much, so many great nuggets in here. But not of human flesh. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Um, I also thought it was interesting when the Soul War started. You look at the list of all the people who are withholding souls from him. It seems like everybody. Well, that's his interpretation of it. Okay, the followers of Chaos, because their souls go to Chaos. That's yep. That ain't right. The Stormcast, we know that. The Deepkin, because they're capturing souls. Those aren't, those aren't theirs to take. Those are mine. I'm mad at you. The Elves of Hish, mad at them. The Sylvaneth, the Daughters of Cain. Anybody who had their soul written, didn't go, that didn't go to... The guy's like he's he's got a list, and it's basically almost everybody. It's not almost everybody. Well, I mean, you don't see mention like the Dwarden or anything like that. But I mean, I'm surprised that they haven't put like Malarian on here because he takes souls from Shayish or from uh, Slanesh to reforge them into a uh, form more pleasing to him. Where's Hish? So, Which realm is that? That's the realm of light. Oh, so the elves of Hish, that would be Te- Teclas and Tyrion. Yeah, that would be Tyrion and Teclas, and then Malarian and Marathi are in shadow. And then you have the hidden gloaming between the two. Right, and they mentioned Slanesh the daughters of Cain. Yep. But Malarian hasn't made his... I, I think the only reason they don't mention him is because he hasn't made his debut yet. Yeah, I think that's what it is, too. Um, but I just, once again, it's just, a lot of this stuff is rehashing stuff we've read in Malign Portance and we've read in the main, the main rule book, uh, yep. and some of it in Legions of Nagashi there a little bit, but it's just those little, it's, it's the details. Like I'm, I'm reading a lot more of this than I normally would, um, because it's those details and it's, and as we get into, um, stuff, in fact, um, where are we at? We're at Ghostly Processions. When we finish this up, we'll probably take another break and then come in with some of the the history on these different units. And seriously, every one of them. It's like, oh, these were these kinds of people that Nagash didn't like. He turned them into this. And these are those types of people. He turned them into that. And you even feel bad for the bad people because bad people deserve punishment. But this is eternal and it's mean-spirited punishment. You know, it's like, eventually these guys are going to learn their lesson. Don't matter. So, anything in the ghostly processions where it talks about the different... I mean, this is just sort of the breakdown of who lived. you got Lady Alinder and Kurdros, uh Valencian at the top. They've got the Knights of Shrouds and the Blade Geist Revenants underneath them. And then you've got the list of all the different units. Yeah, and the different formations that they take up in the procession. Right. So, and they go through each one of these breakdowns about how they are and what they are about. So, 
that stuff you can kind of read on your own. It's, I mean, it's interesting, but it's not so much lore as how they sort of uh, organize their armies. Um, the one thing I did like is you you win, you get a new task. Oh, you finished that? Go to the next one. You lose, you go back to Nagashazar, and there she breaks the host apart and reassigns his various spirits to different armies. So if you lose, anyone who's left is then split up and sent into other armies. You don't get another chance as that army. You're just sent back in as a grunt in different armies. Mm-hmm. Unless you can't break them up, because some of these came together as weird little groups that he put that Nagash himself sort of made, and then those groups don't necessarily get split up, but they might just get sent in as a small faction of another army, depending on how much of them there's left. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Why don't we um, let's take a little break? And when we come back, we'll start with Lady Alindra uh, and uh, Kurdos Valencian and uh, talk about them and their little histories a little bit more. Even the greatest of mortals eventually falls like autumnal leaves to mix with the dirt below. Throughout the different cultures of the mortal realms, there are many symbols associated with death, such as the purple grave rose, the gnarl yew tree, the thorny, sometimes bleeding briar thistle, the reaper's scythe, the mourner's veil, the dully sheening moor coin, and the flickering corpse candle, to name a few. These images are rife with meaning and magical potential, and many superstitions revolve around them. In Shaiish, the symbols of death take on even greater significance, for they are powerful conduits of amethyst magic. Perhaps the most potent of all deathly symbols is the hourglass. With its sand slipping from one chamber to another, the hourglass is used to mark the passage of time and is an obvious reminder of mortality. The stream of sand runs steadily so that, at a casual glance, its movement seems almost imperceptible. Yet gradually, the sands drain. Strangely, the stream always seems to run most swiftly towards the end. Those most knowledgeable in necromancy often use the hourglass in disturbing rites and rituals, often using its powers to sustain the unnatural state of undeath itself. When filled with grave sand and imbued with dark powers from the Retronovus ritual, a powerful incantation of reversal, an hourglass can reinvigorate the necromantic magic that binds the undead. A powerful enough version of the spell can even have strange temporal effects, slowing the foe down to a nightmarish crawl from which they cannot escape, or even aging them in rapid fashion. And we are back to talk the infamous and the most spiteful of spirits that Nagash has to offer. And we start, of course, with Lady Olinder. Um, the Morning Bride, the Unrequited Queen, the Veiled Lady. She's got a lot of names. Yep. And they're all appropriate and accurate. Mm-hmm. 
So what, and we've kind of gone over a little bit about Alinda's background, um, and kind of what she is. And she is the grief and loss made manifest. Um, and it's using grief and despair as a weapon, oh. which we've talked about, which like the psychological effect of, uh, the night haunts in general and weaponized grief may not mm-hmm. sound all that powerful, but once again, all the grief everywhere. You know, I mean, think about that. She can just, she literally throws out waves of where you are just hit with massive depression. I mean, think about the saddest you ever were in your life and how, even if it was like as a little kid, something that so upset you that you were just laying on the ground crying. Now, turn that into a weapon where you could point that at someone and hit them with it, entire armies. It's horrifying what she does. Mm-hmm. And they talk about the different weapons that she has available to herself. Um, like she uses a sorceress. She has the staff of midnight. Um, and she's accompanied by two banshee hand, uh, bridesmaids, as it were, um, one of which bears a gravesand hourglass that can be smashed for lethal effectiveness or something to aid her. But the most deadly of the weapons she has is herself, I love which this. is so essentially from behind her thin shroud, the sunken eyes of the Mortark of grief fixate upon a foe. Deliberately, she pivots to face them before slowly and solemnly lifting her veil. What horrors they see are unknown, for none have yet lived to tell the tale. So does Lady Olander conquer, being the fore of Nagash's invasion in order to bring a new age of eternal death over the mortal realms. And the ability, when we get to her war scrolls, is called uh, like lifting the veil, or seeing beyond the veil. And that's always been something that's been associated with death in general, is to go beyond the veil, and now you are literally taking that into an effect. So, I like that tie-in. And of course, you have the bride that hasn't lifted her veil because she was never married. So, yeah, it's it's so well written here. It's got all those levels. Mm-hmm. And oh, dude, okay, she pulls up her veil. And we don't know what exactly they're seeing because they die. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just whatever that is that they're seeing is enough to stop their hearts. That's great. Yes. That's so cool. And then we got Kurdos Kurdos Valentian, the Craven King. This guy belongs almost on Game, Game of Thrones. Okay, I mean, this is this is some of that. They both do. Yeah, uh, but this is some of that stuff that, like I said, if you if you read like you know some of this you know medieval history, this is the type of stuff that would go on. You know, this guy's mm-hmm. a snake, a weasel, a murderer. He's a betrayer, and worst of all, worst of all, okay, he worships Sigmar, not Nagash. That right there is enough. But this is a guy who killed his own family to move ahead. He killed, I mean, he just, and he would always make it look like other things. Like, he was one of these Machiavellian, 
players in the power struggle, and he won the game. He took out family, friends, everything. And as he is supposed to be getting the crown, as he finally attains power, Nagash is like, I've had it with you. And so he claims his soul, and he's got him in the underworld, right? He almost takes over the entire underworld nation he's in. Like, he's, like his quest for power, when he gets down there, he's like, nope, I'm not going to be cheated. So whatever underworld that his people went to, he took over down there. And Nagash is pretty impressed by this, but that doesn't mean he's going to be nice to him. No. So what does he do? I'm pretty impressed. I could use a guy like you. Really? Really? Yep. Oh, that's great. I could be one of your leaders. I've always been good as a leader. No, that's not what I'm thinking. I think you'll marry her, and you'll be really good to back her up for when she does something stupid and overstretches herself and almost gets killed. You're there to back her up. Oh, Nagash is so petty. (laughs) This is so good. (laughs) So like you said, he's the king, but not the power. He's her protector, her advisor, but never the leader. Um, now, I love this other part. He has two assistants, and if you see the model, he's on his throne, which he almost never gets up off of. He only gets up to the... Like, no, yeah, he is like he is virtually immobile on that throne. And that's, um, the, that's his throne. That is literally the throne from his kingdom. That he would have sat on. Yep, and now he gets to sit on it, but it's not really his throne anymore. And I love his assistants... Um, they proclaim his coming. They shout forth that that Kurdras Valencian is coming. But they they actually add in all sorts of things like the Craven King. They call him the Usurper, the False Lord. Um, all of the boasts about all the things he did. They also add in. Oh, and he poisoned his brother. <laughs> you know, the poisoner his brother, the killer of small children. Like they're nasty to him. Mm-hmm. on top of it, which is great because there's nothing he can do about it. And so it's just like, yep, you get to lead, but let's remind you of all your, all of your, the stuff you don't want people to know about you. And that happens with a couple of these units. There's a couple of units who have people who just taunt them and push them. Yes. Um, um, I also found it ironic that one of his titles is the Usurper, and that was one of Nagash's titles, too. Uh-huh. When he was going through the world that was and taking over the power base. so. And that was the title he hated the most. Mm-hmm. That when people called him that, that really upset him because he always felt like he should have been in charge and he wasn't so much usurping as taking his rightful place. Which I think is what Kurdos, or Kurdos feels as well. Uh-huh. Uh, the last part that's really interesting about him is he can only whisper. He can only whisper things. Uh, he used to shout out orders and bark out commands, and now uh, he can't speak in anything more than a whisper. When he's being prudent, it says, he issues tactical advice garnered from his many victories upon the field of battle. But when he attempts to say more, nothing but the dust of ages issues from his mouth. So... When he it, he can speak when it's necessary to give orders for commands, but they're very quiet. And if he tries to talk anything else, it, it like literally just du- the dust of ages pours out. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, an aura of bitterness exudes from Kurdos so powerful that he can choke an en- it can choke enemy captains and generals even as they seek to issue their own orders. The words foundering and dying upon their lips. Yeah, when he sees other people barking out orders, he's so angry about it that his rage towards them from being the king and the leader that he wants to be can literally shut them down. Once again, the emotions as a weapon. It's just, I love this. This is great. So, that's all for Kudras Valentian. Uh, Reichnor the Grim Hailer. You want to take this, dude? Sure. So, he is a sorceress, or was a uh, sorceress king. And now, we don't know exactly what this is. Um, he is a learned sorcerer king who's sought to overcome death uh, using the light of Hish, which is the light of reason. He tried to prevent um, all mortality. Um, the <laughs> subject is all-consuming, um, attracting others, and his attempts to unbind the workings of death drew the ire of Nagash. Um, Does that surprise anybody who's listening right now? I don't think so. No. So, what he's doing now is he is the hunter, um, and he's not hunting to, like, find the cure for mortality. It's to hunt uh, those wizards that have sought out um, against Nagash or not paid him his rightful his rightful due, who transgress against Nagash. Anyone so who he is stolen souls, soul stealers... People who have prolonged anyone who has delayed Nagash from getting his souls, which is what he was doing, now he hunts them. Yes, so good. So, yeah. Now he can summon a wraith storm, which is a cyclone of amethyst magic that takes the souls of those recently separated from their bodies, um, and. It incites the spirits to savagely attack their former friends, and it attacks like in a hurricane, so it's literally a storm. Um, and he's flies around on a winged nightmare, and this is something that we've had back in previous editions of the game that was never really defined, but now we have something. Um, and on the back of this thing's head armor is a assortment of corpse candles, um, and they are a unique mix of tallow rendered from Reikonor's former apprentices along with a mix of grave sand. Um, so what he can do is he can extinguish the light of these corpse candles to power his own spells, or he can even siphon off a portion of his own existence in order for that quest for power. And I love how it's made from his apprentices. Those were the first people he went after. Yes, the, the first people he was forced to go after. Yep. The ones that assisted him in his sacrilege against Nagash. So he had, went, first thing he did, just like his spell, where it raises you up and you kills all your friends. That was the first thing he had to do, was go and kill all of his friends and his assistants. That's so, yeah. Again, petty. Every one of these people... Basically, whatever their passion was in life or whatever their punishment was that they thought death would free them from, 
is exactly what he gives them. It's for eternity. I just I know I keep repeating this, but I think it bears repeating because this is not cool on any level what he's doing. This is just this is beyond horrible. This is way past any Geneva Convention stuff. This is just dumb. And he's really Nikash is really good at it. But I suppose when you have no emotions yourself and you're just trying to bring everything in the world under that emotionless silence of 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 you know conformity and death uh it's i guess that works it's just bananas uh should we jump to the night of shrouds yeah all right so these are these guys we read about them before didn't we they've shown up before yeah they were malign portents um yeah, these were the commanders and generals that bartered their souls to Nagash for power. Um, so, you know, Nagash is fighting, and he'll fight. He sends his armies against human armies, and the, some of their greatest generals, I mean, everybody eventually falls in battle or dies of old age. If they never gave in to him, they just kind of get ground down to paste eventually and go on either to their own deaths or he uses them. These are the guys... Who sold out their buddies in order? They, th- these are the traitors. They're the ones who went, Look, I know we're all going to die. I'll open the doors for you, let you all in. Um, but I want, I, want a good, I want a good job when I get out of here. And, uh, and that's what they did. Uh, they pledged loyalty to him. They were granted immortality and made a commander in the army. The thing is, there's always this guilt and this anguish in them. And this is part of the bargain that they don't realize they're going to get is that they're going to feel that guilt and it's going to be amplified. And the only way that they can avoid that guilt is just to keep killing. Um, now, I like the Dreadblade Harrows. Those are his officers. Those are the guys who back him up. Uh, these are the guys who in life were his actual lieutenants who knew what he was doing and did nothing to help or hinder him. They didn't stand up for their people and stop him and save the people. They also didn't try to help him. They were Now they are fanatically helping him. They have no option. These are the guys who are brought in, and they, they, they will serve him as best they can. They will do everything they have to do um, because that's their, that's their gig. That's their curse. Is that they and everybody hates him? Like everybody hates the Knights of Shrouds. Like if you recognize them, um, you know the, the, when they go back to their own cities to take over, people like everybody just they're like they're traitors and no everybody hates them. All right. So then we move on to spirit torments and chain gas, and these guys are the lords of the Great Oubliette, which is a prison. Um, Read that first paragraph, because that's where you're hitting it from, right? Because this is good. Yeah. Um, so this is, uh, the spirit torments are the lords of the great Oubliette of Shayish, a continent-sized underworld of dank cells and ice-cold dungeons. Um, these guys are the jailers. They're the ones that capture the souls and do as Nagash wills with them, whether that's taking them back to the Oubliette or... They get used for making into night haunts uh, based on their souls, or they get reserved for 
some exquisite misery dreamed up by the ever-eventual Mortarks or even Nagash himself. And these guys have a very specific job, which is to capture the soul energy um, as the armies go through, as the processions go through and slay people. Their job is to capture that soul energy. And they have a very particular job that, like the timing that these things make themselves known. Because up until the Soul Wars, they're a fairly rare sight in the mortal realms because they never leave the Obliette. Right. But with the Soul Wars and dealing with the Stormcast more, they are also trying to capture the spirits of the Stormcast Eternals and to take those souls back from Sigmar Yes, for Nagash yes. to claim them as his own. So that's their very specific job, and this is reflected later in their rules, but they have a special spot reserved for Stormcast. Mm-hmm. And even tying back to Malign Sorcery, when we talk about the Soul Snare Shackles, that is a direct tie to the Great Obliette. So it's almost like you have that extra thematic link when they grab, in chain, yeah. as it were, when they grab a spirit, they lock that thing down on his head. It's like a like you know over. They put it over his head. It's got this, and when they put that lock down, the spirit is locked in and stuck. Um, okay, uh, teacher time. Um, uh, I do a whole unit when we cover architecture and humanities. We talk about castles and dungeons and stuff. Uh, oubliette. Do you know what that means? It's a prison. It's a bottle prison. It's a technically it's a it, picture like a Coke bottle, okay? And they basically are they it's it's shaped like a cola bottle with the with the opening way up at the top. So when you get down there, it's it's almost impossible even to escape if they put you down there unless they lower something to get you out cuz you can't even climb the walls cuz it turns inward and upward toward the top. Mm-hmm. And uh it, it's from the it, an oubliette. Actually, it comes from um, it's a derivative of a Latin word, which means to forget. The implication meaning we throw you in here and forget about you. So it's you're just stuck down there with no hope of escape. Um, they they'll open it. Uh, just throw down, and th- these are spirits, so you're not even throwing down food or any of that stuff. You are locked in the, and the oubliette was a, a, a particularly um, unpleasant sort of uh, of, a, of a dungeon prison um, because you just felt, because as it narrowed towards the top to that small opening, you were supposed to psychologically feel that, that pressure of being underground and of everything weighing down over you. It was a, a particularly unpleasant sort of, of prison. So when I was reading it, the Great Oubliette, I'm like, oh, that's on top of everything else. It's, it, it is extremely unpleasant. Yeah, now I remember, now this is going to be, we're going to talk about a weird movie here, but do you remember the movie First Night? Yes. K-N-I-G-H-T? Yes. With Sean Connery and uh, Richard Gere playing R- Galahad. And Sean Connery as King Arthur, yes. But that you can understand. They actually use an oubliette, but it's a different style. It's with a rotating bridge. Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Where they keep uh, Guinevere, and the walls are nothing 
but air that suddenly just dawned on me. Right, and I don't. I, I never kind of got why they called that an oubliette because I. It's not that. But what an actual oubliette is. But right. you know, it's but Hollywood. It's they can get away with it. Yeah, they fancied it up and made it cool. But yeah, that's you're all right. That's exactly what they called it. It's because it, it's a great name for a. I mean, it sounds cool. You know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. it sounds like nasty and terrible. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's not the best steel or anything, but still. And then, like, how they describe their masks and everything is very much like men in the Iron Mask, because they're trying to forget or cover up that that person even existed. Uh huh. So I saw a little Dumas with these guys as well. Yes, but. very much so. And these guys also are accompanied by chain guests. Um, I love this. Okay, here's another way that Nagash can be petty. And this is where you get chain gas. There's tons of them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, most people, when you're dying, you know, you call out to your the divinity or the divine being of your of your belief system, calling out for that intervention. Please, God, don't let me die. Um, Nagash doesn't care unless he's left out of the call for help. If you don't cry out to him for some mercy, then obviously you didn't care enough about him you don't care what's going on so he makes note of that and turns you into a chain guest you're imprisoned in shackles you're weighted with chains uh those chains the weight of the chains is is your worst fears your hopelessness um and that's what you're carrying now those things are heavy and they spin them real fast and they pummel the heck out of their enemies so they can literally use them and they, they what they can also do is they can spin it really fast and once they get it going, they can, and it's almost, uh, and then it lets out this little bow wave of misery. So it's like it's, you can sort of charge it up and then use it as a as a weapon to shoot out this wave of misery. Um, and what's interesting is they're in this prison. They're locked into these these with all these chains, right? They're 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 held in with all of these chains. Now they are allowed just a touch of memory of their life. All right? It's this little, almost like when you're trying to remember a dream and you can't quite remember it. And they're constantly thinking if they can figure that out, if they can remember that, that this fading dream, that they would, that they could somehow get released from this nightmare that they're in. Okay? It's another prison for them. So they're they're trapped in sort of this this physical prison with the chains, but then inside because I think they're blind. I think it said they were blind. You know, uh, a lot of these guys, by the way, are blind. That's a, another really weird thing that we keep talking. They can't see what's around them. They can only sense that life, and they hate it. But the this they're in the physical prison from the chains. And they're in a mental prison with that just that thing that's just past the edge of their consciousness and their memory. And if they could get it, they'd get and they, and they won't. Even if they were to figure it out, they wouldn't get out. That's not how Nagash works. But it's that secondary level of just constantly torturing them and messing with them. And and one of the things that we haven't talked about is I keep I keep saying how 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 Nagash is so petty, and I've used the word a bajillion times. It's their hatred of the living and their anger, and it's this this torture fuels their power. So there's mm-hmm. there's a purpose behind the torture. It's still not nice, 
but what he's doing is is to is the the purpose behind it is 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 terrible and rotten but it's what makes these things so monstrous and so frightening to fight too right and it's their prison also extends into like their choices because they are bound to automatically obey each and every command of their spirit torment that they're assigned to so they have this mental prison they have these chains of bondage and then they have to do what they're told to do by the spirit torment Exactly. So they literally have their free will and ability to make their own decisions just completely sapped from them. Oh, so good. So uh, let's see. What else have we got going on here? Um, why don't we try to get through the last of these things and get through this before we take another break? Because we've still got all of the war scrolls, the rules. There's a lot coming yeah. yet. So, um, and I'm not giving this short shrift, but these guys are only a couple of paragraphs apiece. Guardians of Souls, necromancers that Nagash has molded into something more suitable to him. These are necromancers who maybe never gave him, uh, you know, never quite gave Nagash enough power or they weren't clever enough to stay alive with that power. So he sort of twists them um into these guardians of souls. Now, some of them have a nightmare lantern and that strengthens the night haunts and helps to summon more of them. Or they get the mortality glass that can slow down or speed up time for slow down your enemies or speed up yourself, whichever it is. Um, but they were basically uh, just necromancers that he needed that, you know, they never quite cut it as a good enough necromancer, but they had some skills. So we mm-hmm. used them. Yeah, and I think, and when we talk about this eventually about like reading Soul Wars, there is a guardian, and the lantern is almost like a calming effect on the spirits around him, where it calms that rage and calms their fears and calms their doubts. Um, so I don't know. I to me, this these guys remind me of like the Lord Castellas, where it's that reassuring light of um, Azir. This is the cold reassuring light of Shayish. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Cause it says it invigorates them. So it makes them, it makes them it work better. Uh, and it can also channel the lantern so it can, uh, pull more spirits out of their graves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. You're going to grab yeah. Lord executioners. Yeah. These guys are fairly easy. Um, they were executioners tasked with ending life. Um, those that knowingly slay the innocent as well as the guilty, saying it was just doing my job, attract the gaze in the gash. And these spirits are just cursed to end life throughout all eternity. And they're followed by um, spirits uh, from their past to mock them and remind them of the crimes that they had committed. Um, but they also protect him. And it's not a kindness. It's this way that he can never escape his work. Yeah. These are the innocents that he that they killed. When the executioners killed innocent people because their job is to just chop off the heads, they're not part of the jury. You know? Uh, so all the innocents that they killed that they shouldn't have now sit and they mock them, but they don't let them die either. No. It's, it's so a weird hard. dynamic. 
But it's another thing where he calls in the people who hate them to protect them so that they can keep doing the thing that they don't necessarily want to do while mocking them for doing it the whole time. There's so many levels of just meanness going on here. So what else we got? We got Karen Wraiths. We all know what Karen Wraiths are. Only the most sick and twisted become Karen Wraiths. Only the most spiteful of mass murderers. (laughs) They become Karen Wraiths. Uh, They don't serve anybody willingly. They don't like anybody. Um, You could sometimes see strong necromancers, vampires would bind these Karen Wraiths to themselves. But these are just the most depraved and monstrous of humans. They're your serial killers, your mass murderers, the violent, the terrible. Um, After the Necroquake, there's a lot more of them around because they've all been released. And so Nagash does what he does best. He casts a spell, boom, and binds them all to himself. So now they serve him. They don't serve anyone willingly, but they have, willing or not, they're going to serve Nagash. Um, and we all know what Karen Wraiths are. They've been around forever. But uh, that's basically what, that's their deal. Yeah. Um, and then we move on to Tomb Banshees, who are those that have been betrayed or tormented in life, uh, find no reprieve in their deaths, for they are drawn to an afterlife devoid of rest, filled only with mourning and vengeance. Uh, so we've had Banshees for a while, and we can kind of get the gist of what they are. Um they are these screamers. It's their howl that can instantly kill, uh, freezing the blood in their victim's veins, or f- the they can rip a soul from its physical body. Um, and they do talk about a little nifty um, comment. They they're frequently like haunting the material plane, uh, but, or they drift in and out of the night haunt processions, um, and there's one. The thing I'm talking about here, where they work together, which was dubbed the Hell Choir of the Banelands, um, it's a whole, essentially like formation of just the Banshees and their screams. Um, and they also mention here uh, the, of a tomb Banshee leading a vast wave of Miramorn Banshees, the most famous being the host out of actually known as the Burning Scream. Which sounds pretty terrifying. Oh, yeah. To be perfectly honest with you. And it's another thing where they're channeling that grief and that pain into a weapon. Mm-hmm. It's a weaker version of a Lindir, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, because they're not feeling all the grief. Okay, we've all played with these. If you've been playing this game for any amount of time, and you know the undead, you know that the Banshee scream can just kill things. And that's in all the stories. You hear a Banshee scream, it freezes your blood, and you die. That's their own personal grief throughout their life channeled right mm-hmm. and if you've read especially uh you know in any of some of the black library fiction when they show up those screams terrify in, in, in anyone who hears it right uh and that's their personal grief of that one life now take yeah. all the lives in the mortal realms and drop that stuff right into lady alinder and not only does she have to bear it and go with it but that is what she that's what she has weaponized. Yeah. And for the Banshees, it's also like their rage and their anguish for the betrayal and the torture that they've suffered. Right. So this is a combination of the despair of feeling it, but also the rage that they couldn't enact in life. Yep. 
Um, and then we get into the Wraith hosts. Uh, all Wraith hosts, they just hate the living. That's, I mean, they were, that was before anything else. That hatred has been manifest or uh, magnified by Nagash's curse. So it's gone from just they hate the living and they want to torture them to uh, just something that is just a blind rage uh, uh, to go after them. Uh, and the first one on this list is the gl- uh, Glaive Wraith Stalkers. Uh, these are they're, they're guys who uh, I couldn't figure out what these models were. I'm, this uh, uh, this is the they almost looked like a like a skaven. That's um, what I initially with their head, yeah, because they look kind of small and hunched over. But no, these are guys. These were um, riders who thrilled in riding down their quarry before the kill. They they would ride horses and and ride things down before turning around and killing them. Now they are a strange mix of horse and rider. So those are like horse heads mixed in with the human rider. Um, once now, here's how they work. Once they level their weapon at a target, they pick a target and they point their weapon at it. They are drawn to that. Like it's like they pointed to it, and it they get that, now it's like a magnet. They're getting sucked towards that target until one of them are dead. They just and but that old thrill of riding quickly and running something down that's gone. They don't get that anymore because that would be fun, and that's not what Nagash is about at all. This is they've got that drum beat. That beats with them, and they kind of move a slow and steady pace, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they never stop; they just follow and follow and keep coming until they get their target. And as soon as they get there, there's no chance to enjoy the 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 quest. To enjoy the kill because they've got to point at another one and do it again. But it's like that slow and steady, no rush, just relentless moving forward. Kind of reminds you of the old mummy movies, you know, like how he just keeps coming. Like if you get killed by the mummy, you deserve to die because he just he can't even walk fast. But it reminds you sort of that. You know what I'm talking about, the old, old ones, not the, not the new iterations. But that's what it is. It's just this slow and steady constant coming for you, and they're going to get you. You're, one of you is going to die, and that's how it is. I kind of like it, even though I thought the models look a little weird. Um, they're not exactly my favorite in the line, just because they do look like no. I, I thought they were Skaven. You know, at first, like, I th- oh, look, they're coming up with other races of undead things. But no, it's, it's just they got a horse head. It's a little weird. Um, I mean, the models are still nicely made, but they're probably my least favorite of the ones we've seen. Mm-hmm. I would concur. Oh, good. Um, so... Next, we have the Grimgast Reapers, um, and in life, what these guys are, they're careful and meticulous killers, planning, plotting, worrying over every little thing, so it doesn't fall back on them. Um, and they use, like, lying, poisoning, employing of mercenaries. So, for their crimes, Nagash punishes them with everlasting bloodshed, bloodshed, in the most frenzied and obvious manner possible. So he hands them a scythe, but he also blindfolds them. So they don't necessarily see what they're swinging at or directing their strikes. It's to keep them angry and to keep them lashing out. So, and um, they're like, it's almost like clockwork with how they go and it's indiscriminate and they kind of move kind of er- erratically, like, ha- like ha- haphazard. Um, 
they are very quick, but they like start and stop um, and then carry on. They're Unit champions are extollers. So these are the guys with the bells. Um, and theirs are diff- their crime is different. They were once spiritual leaders that spoke out against Nagash in life. So now they're the harbingers of harbingers of death. And they have that bell, which um, like the tolling of that bell, um, and that's very common, obviously, with funerals or with weddings in some cases, um, it isn't done to honor Nagash. Yep. And it's especially true when the bell batters the flesh of the living because the resonating wave of noise that it can, is so disturbing. It can shake a soul loose from their physical form. Yeah. By how powerful that bell swing is. Ugh, that's so good. All of this is just nasty. What do we got next? We got chain rasp hordes. Um, these are the most vicious and irredeemable animals ever to live. Basically, they get they become, and they're the most numerous of all of that. These are just the, the horrible, horrible people, and um, whatever form they take is it will echo the circumstances of their death. Uh, if you met your end in chains, you're wearing those chains. If you've been uh, those weighted down with heavy iron cannonballs or trammeled with thick manacles, drag that same load with them. But no matter what they're hauling, they just want to beat everything. They're just whatever their that thing is that that heavy load that's weighing them down. They're going to just swing it at anything around them, uh, and that's that's their whole just get destroy everything. Um, they are lesser spirits, and they're only held together by Nagash's curse and their and their hatred, and it drives them mad. Because they're not any powerful thing. They're just Nagash's curse is the only thing holding their spirit together. And they're just full of hatred. Uh, their leaders are called Dread Wardens. And these, again, here's another thing. Much like uh, we talked about with the um, with the chain guests. With uh, how they have that little bit of a memory. But you get here. They have these uh, candles. And they're little beacons to the chain rasp. So they kind of keep their units together. Because as the leader moves, they follow these little candle beacons. But they think that little bit of light, and it's almost like that, you know, move into the light. So they follow it, thinking it will lead them to freedom, but it's actually another prison. It's holding them bound. It just keeps them following this leader. It's not a way out. Uh, It's just leading them to whatever, you know, more things they need to destroy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so we move on to the Blade Guys Revenants. Um, and these guys, they meet their ends in life, and particularly tormenting ones. And these ones really bother me when we start talking about them. Because it's if you're sealed in a spike in, spike-ridden encasement. The Iron Maiden. Uh, the Iron Maiden, yep. Uh, being buried uh, alive or being choked beneath water. It's that frantic desperation, that frantic defiance to break free. Um, Nagash thinks that that's a good idea. So that horrible moment is forever preserved for them. So they're constantly doomed to feel that. Um, 
Yeah, that last Excuse. moment of ultimate panic is all they feel. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Oh, that's so wrong. So they're like lashing out that final moment to try to uh, escape their fate, but now they're going to stick them with a long sword. <laughs> this way, as they act out these frantic scribblings and. Um, well, and their other senses are all numbed. So they don't, yeah, was, once again, they don't have their other senses. Mm-hmm. They can only sense the spirits around them. And it, I love how it's the spirits of the living or the other ghosts around them. And they just think that that's the person who is captured, who has captured, who's doing this to them. Right. So then they get spurred on to even more manic efforts in order to escape their doom. You know, it, obviously, you know, you see, you're pushing them around the table, and they're cool, and they've got cool attacks and stuff, but if you try to picture what this must look like, like... It's uh, got to look really weird. You know, just them just, fla- I mean, but they've got all these different things who are just screaming and raging, and these guys are just flailing at everything near them. Once again, it's just, it's kind of horrifying to picture being them on the battlefield, because it, it the... the 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 frenzied motions the the crazed rage i mean that doesn't translate i mean it translates in their war scrolls like to their powers and stuff i get it but when you're pushing the models on the tabletop it doesn't quite tra- it doesn't quite go to those it doesn't quite go to that i don't think it comes across you know what i'm saying on the tabletop and when you know about it it's like oh that's horrible yeah, I mean, it makes sense once you get into it, but this is that cinematic element to it that I think you're missing. And the models are a little more right. haphazard and a little more all over the place compared to some of the other ghosts, but um, you do kind of miss that. Okay, so moving right along, the Mirnmorn Banshees. Um, these guys were... Uh, they were magic practitioners, seekers of eldritch knowledge, uh, that type of thing. They were really interested in magic. They wanted to learn all about magic. Uh, they were more interested in magic than paying proper respect to Nagash. And as, you know, we all know where this is going. Um, so his curse for them, he said, oh, you love magic so much. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. You are going to be forever hungry, starving, and all you can eat is magic. And so all they can sense is magic. Once again, their other senses are blinded. All they can sense is magic and probably the souls of the living. But what shows up more to them, to their senses? The wizards who are casting magic. So these are the guys. um, It reminds me of one of those big monsters that the Beastmen had. The one who was just... A tr- the Cygor? Yeah. It reminds you of the Cygor. Uh, that's kind of what these guys are. These Mernmorn Banshees, they are attracted to wizards. And if you try to spell your way out of it, they just feed off that and your spells collapse and die and don't work. Uh, and that's basically what these guys are in a nutshell. People who really loved magic and wanted to learn about magic uh, and didn't pay him the proper respect. So now, oh, you were all about magic then? You're all about magic now. So he's they're like they're the wizard killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and they even have like the ability to like just incorporate like the endless spells even. 
Yeah. They're still drawn to that level of power. Right. 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 Uh, so then of these, the last ones are the Dread Scythe Herodons. Um, and we already talked about them a little bit earlier in the show. So these are the healers and nurturers, uh, women who were, their job was to ease suffering and to prolong life, which is offense enough to Nagash because it's, you're keeping that soul longer than it should be. Um, so we already talked about what the Herodon curse is. So it's taking that form, reshaping it into something that is quite the opposite. Their hands are replaced with scythes, um, and they can still feel all of the crimes that they're committing. They still feel that horror that they're doing the exact opposite thing. It's the indiscriminate, frenzied killing um, that they can't administer in death anymore, so they're now cursed to constantly met out death in a very gruesome way possible while they still feel it. Like, most of these other things are very limited in what they can feel, but the Herodans have something completely different. And their memories, too. These are the one that Nagash mm-hmm. has left their memories of. They know that they're healers. They know that they're... Th- but it's a compulsion. So it's almost like... I remind, it reminds me of, of when I was reading Horace Heresy stuff with Fulgrim, how when he gave himself over to the demon, how he's locked inside and he could see what was going on, but he couldn't control it, even though he was inside the body. It kind of reminds you of that same way. Where they're this curse, they're they, they they are vicious, raging killers. With their healing hands have been turned into scythe hands. I mean, come on, that's kind of you know, it, it, you, it, you can't get any more you know uh, you know obvious metaphor here than that. But inside, they're horrified at what they're doing. Um, you know, kind of like David Doctor Banner and the Hulk in some ways. You know, it's like I don't want to do this, but I can't stop myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's sad. It's really just horrible. But it it goes with this whole theme, um, and it's what it's what I think makes this army uh, so appealing to me was this this lore. How each of these things is just this crazed, tormented thing that Nagash is just pushing, um, and it it, it makes them uh, the, that like I said that story that idea behind them so great. Uh, we're down to the last three. Uh, spirit hosts. We all know what spirit hosts are. They've been around forever. They are the lowest of the spectral forms. Um, you see in the spirit host pictures, it looks like a bunch of separate, you know, spirits just sort of in a group. But it's not even that. Basically, it says they're a cluster of souls merged into one spirit cloud. They have no memory, no identity. They just know that they hate the living. So it's a it's a bunch of un it's a bunch of dead spirits that are so weak and pathetic that they've just sort of merged with the other few around them. And they're just sort of in this spirit cloud. And that's all they are. And we've seen them before. They're just spirits. They're okay. That's what they are. Yeah. So the next we have is the hex rates. And these are the hunters of men's souls, um, also known as reaper knights. And they're, they're harvesters of souls. They're previously like they haunt battlefields, writing down mortals in order to claim their souls. Um, but now they've been elevated to like shock troops. Um, the guys that write in uh, quickly to run down um, defenders or those that have escaped. So that is their job now. Yeah. They've become very useful. 
because they're they're mm-hmm. even they're fast and they move in and they're they're ruthless. Um, and they've become they've gone from being you know deadly haunts, but they've left their normal haunting grounds and become the vanguard of this spear tip that is the night haunts. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we get the black coach. Yay! Um, the black coach. Uh, they're funerary carriages from the underworld, but they uh, you get things that are uh, like soul blight vampires, lich lords, the best of the necromancers. Uh, their bodies destroyed, and that they're still not they they survived that. Like they're not quite their body was destroyed, but they can still they're still sort of sentient. Uh, and so what they do is they start to reform it. So you get. Uh, you know, whatever's left of them, the ashes from them, the bones from them, the the little bits of hair and skin, whatever's left is put into a, a casket. And they're inside the casket, and the black coach sort of manifests around them. And it's this spirit coach. And as it rides around, um, as all the spirits on it and everything starts killing the stuff around it, that spirit energy starts going into and infusing into whatever's in the casket, allowing it to take more of almost a solid form, allowing it to kill more, allowing it to do all these things. Um, I just, I love, I love this. I love this, this whole thing. Uh, it's basically a big phantasmal coach. And as it draws in the energies of death, it becomes more and more frightening, uh, just killing more and more and more. Uh, and then it becomes basically just it. It brings in death energies until it becomes its own force of death. Yeah, and this one I found is like a weird standout amongst them because it is not like a punishment for a coach. You know, it is yeah, the malevolent no. will. Yeah, come to think of it, it's the one thing that it hasn't been. But it's also not full spirit. Like it's, or it kind of is, but there's that that. The last remnants of its physical form, which the rest of these things don't have. I suppose you could look at it as that it's driven by hate and it's driven by that unbreakable will, which is what Nihon at the end of the day is. True. For Nagash. So, I don't know. It felt like it initially with the old model, it did feel like a weird incursion into a Nihon range, but obviously the new model helps a lot, but. Well, it yeah. still feels like kind of out of place to me. I, you know what? I can see that, and uh, you know, now that, now that you're pointing it out, it doesn't really explain like why this one thing would be in here. Like, why does it? Because it, it's it's trying to reform a new physical shell. It do, you're right. It doesn't fit any of that. Although it it feeds upon that death and grief, like the rest of them do. What else is it saying here? Let's see. Um, I don't know. It's phantasmal in nature, unbound by the physical world, um, where the power of death is the strongest. Uh, all this violence fuels the death magic that's absorbed by it. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I didn't even realize Yeah. It. The closest tie it has is it's feeding on the soul energy of what's going on around it. Um, but it doesn't have that 
common note of hatred towards the living. This is the unshakable will of a particularly strong death lord trying to reassert himself or herself. Yeah, you're right. Story-wise, it doesn't fit in, does it? No, not really. Well, that makes me sad because I love. But this if part. it's with a funeral, if it's you're looking at it from a funeral procession, or oh, um, that's true. It's part of this big funeral procession. It's yeah. There's all this death happening around it. It feeds off death energy, so it's obviously that it would be attracted to this. So even though it's maybe not a part of it, it sort of shows up as an accoutrement. Yeah, as it were. But it still feeds into the terror aspect because you see. Like, if you think about a hearse, like, and, it, and you look at a hearse, in addition to the massive line of everyone behind it, either slowing down or going through traffic or whatever, it's still like an involuntary almost reaction that you suddenly get that reminder of mortality. Or in trying to picture it as it's that it's that oh, it's a coach being pulled by the horses. I mean, you could think back to the old movies, like the old Dracula movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. That can be pretty creepy if you know there's a body back there. Yeah. Also, and I suppose that's the same thing with the hearse too. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget that you've got the uh, the three guys that are with it. His three um, the uh, the relic bearers, and the relic bearers are all holding something that's important to the to the, to whatever's in the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are things, and it helps it focus and helps it draw back. Um, wow, that kind of made me sit now. I don't know how I didn't notice that there was no curse on this thing. I mean, probably because it was the very last thing that we covered before we got to all the scrolls and stuff. And I was like, yay, Black Coach. And then it's like, oh, no, it doesn't quite fit. It like, doesn't 100% jive, but it, works. it jives enough. It works that it can be drawn in. And maybe it's simply because these these undead creatures or these necromancers were, were strong enough and powerful enough that... They haven't been separated from their physical form, even though the physical form has been devastated, destroyed down to ashes or bits or chunks. They're still mm-hmm. connected to it, and they haven't split. So Nagash hasn't needed to torture them to turn them into something. They are just this thing, and they're still working well. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Well, that kind of threw me off there. Gonna have to think about that. That's weird. Sorry. No, no, don't be. Um, you know, uh, if there's a thing that's not right, it's not right. Um, but now we have been going for an hour. So, yeah, and yeah. fortunately, this is the last of the unit entries um, as far as their background and purpose in the procession. Yep. So I think we're going to take a break oh, and then come yes. back and talk about Allegiance abilities and start to break down all of these war scrolls because there are a lot of them for such a small book oh yeah yeah so lore is done uh if you need to take a break folks <laughs> start start to show up again later this is your break point because we're gone from lore to rules and yep there's yeah there's a bunch all right we will be back
Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well, then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right. Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. We are back. We're back. The lore is through. We've done it all. Yeah, that's a lot to cover for such a little book. Yep, and we've taken a little rest. <laughs> taken a break, re-energized. Uh, so we're ready to go. That last little bit, you know, especially because a lot of that was a was a recap of stuff we'd seen in several books. It was just like, all right, let's get through this. Um, mm-hmm. Not so much that we don't care, but it's like, you know. I, I gotta tell you, I'm a little now that you point out how the black coach doesn't doesn't quite match everybody else's. I'm just like, oh, oh man, black coach doesn't fit right. Yeah, it's okay. Realistically, it fits aesthetically with them. The background's a little hinky, but that's okay. So yeah. But okay, I was just I was like, oh man, this is so perfect. And then you're like, whoop, there's oh okay. All right, so uh, uh, allegiance abilities. Um, now they've got a bunch of yeah, battle they traits. have yeah. a lot that line them up a lot with the death releases that we've seen uh, from legions and the gash. So um, these, this whole army in general is a very big bravery debuff. So a lot of the things we're going to talk about are going to be stacking the minuses on your bravery. Uh, so, first things first, if you're within six inches of a Night Haunt unit, you are minus one bravery. Cool. Yep. Um, they have the Deathless Spirits, so this is similar to the Deathless Minions, or any other death, other of uh, the uh, death units. So, if you're wholly within 12 inches of your general or friendly Night Haunt hero, you can negate wounds or mortal wounds on a six plus. Um, and then... From the General's Handbook 2017, when they first got their set of Allegiance abilities, they had the ability to, um, like, ambush units, just to have them come straight out of the ground. Right. Similar to Stormcast, uh, they have that now. It's no dice roll or anything. You can just set it up to the side, and at the end of your movement phase, you can set up one of those units more than nine inches away from any enemy models. And this is a reserve mechanic. Okay. So that means no more than half of your units can be set up in the ground. Now, does that mean that I can't set up my first unit as a reserve unit? That I have to have at least one unit on the table before I designate a reserve unit? Because No. Uh, You can set up your first unit in the ground, but you have to have an even number on the table. Okay. For what you set up in the ground. So if your first three deployments are stuff in the ground, you then need to make sure you have three units on the table. 
Okay. So this is kind of like the Stormcast, except they're it setting is up exactly in the sky. Like the Stormcast. And okay. these guys are setting up in the ground. Okay. Let's see what else. Uh, oh, if you fail, if the enemy fails a battle shock test, pick a friendly night haunt hero within six inches of that unit, and you get a wound back. Mm-hmm. And that's every time an enemy unit fails a battle shock test. So if there's two or three around you that fail, and they're all within six inches, you get you'll get a wound back for each. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then you got Wave of Terror, and if you make an unmodified charge roll of 10 or more for a friendly Nighthaunt unit, it fights as soon as the charge move is done. And then they can fight during the combat phase as well. Yeah. This is a massive ability for yeah. these guys. And a lot of these things are not going to be super accurate hitters, but to get extra attacks out of sequence is a huge deal. That says you can fight immediately. That doesn't mean you get a pile in, does it? Just says you fight. So if you just get in and you've only got two or three guys in because you just made it and you're waiting on the pile in, it's just those two or three guys that are in that get to fight. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, so it's not. I mean, it's still good. I'm not even joke. You know, I'm not even trying to downplay it. But it's not get there, pile in, attack, and then do that on your uh, uh, during your uh, during the combat phase. So. Yeah, and I believe that's how it is, where you don't get the pile in, but I could be wrong. I'm going to double-check that. Okay, if we're mistaken, whatever. Um, And then they get an extra command ability? Yeah, this is for every every character in your arm. This is your general that gets this, essentially. Um, It's a weird kind of ability, so you use it at the start of your movement phase, and if you do so, pick a friendly Nighthaunt unit that's on the table and remove it from the battlefield and then set it up wholly within 12 of your general and more than 9 inches away from any enemy models. So you need the general on the table in order to use this, but this is essentially like redeploying units in your army where your general is. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, it allows you to play a little more tactically with regards to... I'm going to hard fake on the right side with my unit of grim gas, but then suddenly I'm going to pop this to bring them all the way back over here, and then I'm going to try for that 9-inch charge, hoping for a 10. Right. Now, you can't just pull them in if your general's getting attacked because they have to be 9 inches away from the enemy. Right. So, I mean, you might be able to, depending on how you can fit them in and how you can make make the squeeze work. But still, Mm -hmm. being able to pick something up and just move it from anywhere... I threw yeah. this forward, and it was a really bad idea. <laughs> they got mm-hmm. in trouble. I'm pulling them back. I like that. Yeah. It's a very interesting mechanic uh, that can be played both offensively and defensively. So, um, And then they do have a little box out for returning slain models because there are some units that get to reanimate the dead. Um, and this is similar to what we've seen with uh, Legions of Nagash, that you can't set it up within three inches of an enemy model, unless there's already a unit, unless they're returning to the unit that is already within three of the enemy model. Right. So, yeah, if they're within three already, you can be within three of them. If they're not, you can't. And they've all got to be within an inch because you've got to maintain coherency. Correct. Yep. So, I, re- I really, I mean, that's that's a big bunch of, I mean, that's five basically passive always-on battle traits and an extra command ability. That you just mm-hmm. automatically have this extra command ability to, to grab that unit and pull it over. Yeah. And then you still get to pick a command trait. 
Yeah, and there's some good ones on here. Yep. Um, there's, like, the generic plus one wound, or plus one to their wound characteristic, um, minus one to be shot by melee weapon or missile weapons. Um, there's a couple big ones in here. Uh, Ruler of the Spirit Host is one of my personal favorites. Um, so the start of your hero phase, you can pick a friendly summonable Night Haunt unit, and there are some things in here that are and are not summonable. Um, within nine inches of the general and return D3 slain models to that unit. And the models have to be set up within nine inches of the general. So with a lot of the summon backs, it's D3 wounds worth. This is just D3 models. Yeah, no, this, this is, is good. Yeah, especially for stuff like spirit hosts, ironically enough, because it says ruler of the spirit hosts, uh, because they are multiple models. To, so to put that many ghosts back in one shot is a big deal. Yeah. Um, the Spiteful Spirit's okay. Not great, in my opinion. Roll a dice each time you allocate a wound on the general that was inflicted by a melee weapon. On a 5-up, the attacking unit suffers a mortal wound after all of the attacks have been made. Um, this is your, this only works when you're taking wounds, though. Yes. It's not allocate. I mean, this is after your saves and stuff. If you're taking a wound, then one-third of the time you're going to put a wound back on your enemy. I'm like, man, uh, this is one of those things that all the way back to back in when I was playing in seventh edition, when you would take special, uh, you know, pick things for your, especially for your dwarves, you would take, you know, build your own runes. And it's like, oh, if you get killed, do this. Or if you get really beat, do this. And it's like, well, this only works if I'm getting beat. And my plan is to not get beat. So, right. well, you know, meh. Um, I do like uh, the terrifying entity, though. Yeah, this one's fun. Yeah. Do you want to explain that one real quick? Sure. So at the start of the enemy movement phase, you roll a dice for each enemy unit within three inches of this model. And if it's equal to or greater than that enemy unit's bravery, they have to make a retreat move in that movement phase. So you're essentially clearing things away from you. That's um, only low bravery stuff, though, because you're only rolling one die. Yeah, it's one die, but then remember the trait that's for the army where it's minus one bravery, and then you can do a few other things to screw with their bravery. So, But forcing them to retreat, I like that a lot. That's something yeah. that I like because that's that's messing with your with your opponent. Then it's like no, you got to go mm-hmm. away. Yeah. So interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I would see. I just see myself always taking ruler of the spirit hosts. Yeah, that's if you're playing with a lot of spirit hosts, though. I think or multi wound models. Any summonable like, uh, night haunt unit, though. Yeah. I mean, that's how many of them are there? There's kind of a bunch, isn't it? Yeah, so obviously you're going to be excluding the characters, um, but then... But Hex Raids, Spirit Hosts, Dread Scythe, uh, Mernmorn, Banshees, Chain Rasp Horde, Bladegeist Revenants. Yeah, it's everything but the characters and the coach. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot of stuff, man. I mean, that's... Yeah. You know? Yeah, you'll get more bang for the buck out of the multi-wound models, like Hex Rays and Spirit Hosts, but still, free heal yeah. is not a bad D3 thing. D3 models going back every turn, you know, uh, yeah, that's, especially if you can get a couple of extra command points. Like, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't really have a use for them. Like, things kind of go your way. You this know? doesn't require a command point. Oh, no, that's right. It's a command trait just at the start of the phase. Oh. Yeah, so every turn, D3, I'll take that. I was thinking of command, uh, 
abilities. An ability? Yeah. No. Because, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Because I found I found myself kind of like getting stocked with them and not necessarily needing them in the beginning. And then it's like near the end, I'm like, I'm just going to start using these for anything. Mm-hmm. All right. All um, right. So then there's a lore of the underworlds. So this is for night haunt wizards. Uh, so there's only three in the book. The Guardian of Souls, Lady Alinder, and Raikonor the Grimhaler. So some of these are going to be a little weird. Um, there's one in here, like the Reaping Scythe, which is a cast value four. You pick a one of the caster's weapons, and until the start of your next hero phase, you get to reroll failed hit and wound rolls uh, with that weapon. It's kind of like Hand of Glory. Yeah. Uh, from, and we all know how useful that spell is. Um, but you're looking at the combat characters. This goes on like Lady Alinda or Raikonor, um, because they have like different, they have better combat weapons than a Guardian of Souls. Right. So this one's situational use. Um, we've also got, uh, Shade Mist. This one I like a lot. So you cast value six, pick a friendly Nighthawk unit wholly within 12 of the caster that they can see. And subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target them until the start of your next hero phase. That is a huge deal to make your very survivable units even more survivable, especially against shooting attacks. Right. So yeah, because that's for the whole, the whole until the, the next hero phase. Yeah, that's one that goes till the next hero phase, which a lot of that stuff sort of is sort of dropping off. Mm-hmm. Um. What else? Um. I kind of like the soul cage. Yeah. Pick an enemy unit. With, it's a six up. Pick an enemy unit within 12 of the caster that's visible until the start of your next hero phase. That unit cannot retreat, which a lot of that's not the big, as big of a deal. But in addition, they can't fight until all other enemy units that are eligible to fight have already done so, mm-hmm. which means everyone near them is going to get a chance to hit them. Yeah, that, before they swing. Yeah, that right there is a big deal. Yeah. Put on the, the right person. Mm-hmm. And the inability to retreat is a big deal because it means you are going to get punched. But there are a lot of units that get to retreat and charge. Um, anything that gets hit by a Knight Heraldor, for instance, can't do it. Um, Skaven, most of their... Like the clan's verminous units, they can retreat and charge, right? Or anything like that. So you're Yetis. essentially locking them in. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And some of these are really cheap. A spirit drain is only four. Um, an enemy model within eighteen inches of the caster visible to them. Roll a die. Roll a number of dice equal to the model's wound characteristic, and for each six, it takes a mortal wound. So on a four up, you can. I mean, yeah, it's sixes, but sometimes you get lucky. Yeah, and if you're rolling against like a Star Drake or Archeon or any of these big things, you're gonna put like three, maybe four wounds on them. Right. Just based on dice average. No, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lifestealer's a favorite for your big combat characters, like Lady Alinda and Raikonor. Um so Castle use seven, pick an enemy unit within twelve that they can see that unit takes D3 mortal wounds, and for every mortal wound suffered, you get to heal a wound to the caster. Um, so that's really cool. And then the last one is Spectral Tether, uh, cast value 6. 
pick a friendly Nighthaunt hero within 12 inches and just heal D3 wounds. Um, the big thing that you notice with all of these, the longest range on here is one spell at 18, everything else is 12. We've always had those bubbles with the death armies, though. It, yeah, the bubbles know. and ranges tend to be smaller. Yeah, 12 inches, sometimes even 6, but a lot of these 12-inch bubbles, um, and they've, they've been that. You have to sort of keep things together. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah, and even the offensive ones are still, you got to be up close and in the nitty-gritty with these guys. And realistically, when we get to their abilities, you're going to want to get up close and into the nitty-gritty. Yep. Um, we get to the artifacts and the weapons. Uh, you get some of the basic stuff, you know, add one to hit and wound rolls, subtract one from hit rolls made that come after you, you know, that kind of stuff. But then you get a couple of these Reaper of Sorrows. Yeah. One of their weapons, uh, before attacking with the weapon, roll 2d6. If it's higher than their bravery, the rend is 3. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and that'll probably go on a Knight of Shrouds. And again, your minus one bravery for being within six inches of it. And to get 2d6, even over a seven, it's pretty good odds. Yeah. Um, and then Shadow's Edge, similar unmodified hit roll is with the weapon is a six. It just does d3 mortals instead. Mm-hmm. So gives you that. Sort of the thing that we've seen with a bunch of different Stormcast models and other things like that. Um, yeah. And then what do you think of Slitter? I like this one because it doesn't prevent you from using all of your attacks to begin with. Because a lot of these other ones, you have to like make one attack to try to ace them. This is just a passive. You try to ace somebody. Yeah. And this one, so before you pick the bear to fight, before they pile in, so this is timing specific, um, you get to pick one enemy model within an inch of the bear and roll a die. And if it's greater than that model's wound characteristics, it's just dead. So it's Auto not going to work on big models, but you can take out three and four wound models fairly regularly. Or a five wounder on luck. On luck, exactly. And if you're even, I mean, th- this is, it's a passive thing, like you said. It's going to come in every combat phase. If I'm surrounded by two wound models, just boom, roll, okay, take, take one of them off. And you yeah. can pick that model. So mm-hmm. this is another case of picking a model. If you're stringing them out, I can pick that model. Yeah. And, and if I can break coherency, half that part of the unit goes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's very good for, like, picking up specific weapons, with, especially with, like, Stormcasts or... Even uh, Ikelian guards, where you can pick out their musicians or pick out their champions, right, or anything like that. That's, so that's what I like about it. Yeah, you can. You, mm-hmm. it's not just a model is slain. It's like, oh, I get to pick the guy I'm going after if I can get near him. Yeah, and people um, don't and expect then, that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and it's again a passive ability. You still get all of your attacks from all your other from the rest of the profile. You're just getting a free chance to kill something, right? Uh, and then Headsman's Judgment, I do like this one. It just adds a straight plus one to hit and wound rolls made for attack, so your knights go to twos by twos, which is a big deal for them to try to start cutting stuff up. So, mm, Tasty. Uh, do you want to jump to the relics real quick? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, so there's a couple things in here. Uh, the first of which that I think we should point out is the Midnight Tome. So that one, it makes you a wizard. So you get Arcane Bolt and Mystic Shield, as well as a spell from the Lore of the Underworld. Um, you get to cast one and unbind one, and if you're already a wizard, you can attempt to cast an additional spell in your hero phase instead. But this can then get comboed with uh, the Reaping Scythe to make a Knight of Shrouds, this combat machine. So that's a good one. Uh, let's see. The Pendant of the Fell Wind. That's that's fun. So you get to add three to normal moves made by friendly Night Haunt units that are wholly within 12 inches of the bear at the start of the movement phase. So it makes your fast army even faster. Oh, yeah. Everything in this book is at least movement six. So suddenly you're kicking everything up to movement nine or, or 11 in the case of the Reapers. That's yeah, nice. that's pretty okay. So anything else in here that really sticks out? They got, uh, you know, uh, roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches on a two up. They take a mortal wound. That, I mean, that's not bad. I'm not, I, I'll take a mortal wound, but I don't know that I'm going to pick that against some of these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are the big ones for me. Yeah. Um, the mirror of screaming soul sounds good. You know, um, at, at the start of the shooting phase, roll two d six for each enemy unit within eight inch eight inches of the bearer. If it's higher than their bravery, they take a mortal wound. Once again, it's a lot of these one mortal wound things, which are nice. But but it's just a sprinkling of damage. It's not going right. to significantly it, change. Yeah, I mean, for it to get in, you've got to get in on a lot of on either a bunch of units or get real close. And it's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, to get the most effectiveness out of it, you need to have units in combat, this character behind them to pop it off, and then if you're in eight inches when you have these big horde units of ghosts, you're just not seeing where you're going to get a lot of bang for buck out of it. Right. Okay, um, now if you got a Guardian of Souls with a Lantern, the Nightmare Lantern, you can pick one of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, the Witchlight Lantern plus one to cast on, for the for the bear. That's a good one right there. Yes, yes it is. Because um, his base spell is a six, and some of these other casting spells are a little higher value, so uh, makes life a little easier there. Uh, the Beacon and Nagash's are so this one, if you successfully cast his basic spell, which is healing wounds, you get to heal D6 plus 3 wounds that have been allocated to the target unit, or you can heal or return a number of slain models to it that have a combined wound characteristic of less than or equal to D6 plus 3. So 4 to 9 wounds coming back. or mm-hmm. Yeah, because healing, I mean... You know... Un- the only time you get screwed on this is if you've got like two wound models and one has a wound because you yeah. can't do both. So it's like you heal the one wound and that's it. But as long as you have no wounds on the unit, I'll be like, Beep, let's do that. Let's put that down. And then suddenly you get four to nine wounds back. Yeah, that's a big deal for a lot of these units. Or if you think about it at a very minimum, it's two hex rates or it's one spirit host. So you're guaranteed to get a return on this. Yeah. And that's all of the, uh, that's all of the, uh, artifacts and spells and abilities. That actually went 
pretty quick. Yeah, the light shard, though, is the other lantern uh-huh. uh, that is worthy of note. So at the start of the combat phase, once per game, you can pop the light shard. And if you do your reroll failed hit rolls for all attacks made by friendly Nighthaunt units while they're wholly within 12 of the bearer. So you're, there's a lot of stuff in here that has some conditional rerolls, but to get rerolls on everything wholly within 12 of him, and he's going to want to be in the thick of it anyway, this is a real like big potential danger piece. It's only once per game, but when it works, that is it's going to be brutal. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now, there are 10 War Scroll Battalions. We're going to come back to them. Yes, there's a few. Oh, I'm sorry, not 10. There's eight. I miscounted. It's still a lot. It's still a lot. And you know what? I was looking at these last night because I'm picking up my black coach on Saturday. <laughs> And so I'm looking at them saying, okay, what can I, you know, like, you want to, you kind of want to take some battalions because you want to get those extra command points. You'd like to get those extra abilities. Um, I just, and this is where I'm going to ask you, defer to the tactical expert, how valuable some of these are. Because they run from 100 to like 140. And mm-hmm. the command point is great, but some of the stuff, like the bonuses, I'm going, well... Are they that good, or am I just looking for the extra artifact and the extra command point? Because I'm thinking we can come that, back to that. Because there's some really good for. ones in there. There are some really good ones, but then there's some like I guess it was just I was looking for what what's in the battalion because like these are the models I would probably pick anyway. What do I get? And so mm-hmm. that's my, that's where I want to ask your opinion on how good those things are because I'm looking at them going I don't know. Good. All right, so. <laughs> let's jump into before we take a, a break. Let's jump into at least the big three: uh, Lady Alinder, Kudros, or Kudos Valen, Valentian, and I just mangled his name twice. And Rikenor, the Grim Hailer. Yeah, and there's a lot here between the three of them. She's so um, awesome. God, I want to play is. her so bad. Like seriously, I'm painting and building Nagash, but like I could totally go pure Night Haunt on me and just play with these guys because they're such. Beautiful models, first of all, mm-hmm. and then just the the theme and the idea, the the synergies in these models with these units are so. They, it's like this is going to be fun to play. Yes, um, and before we get into the war scrolls, we should probably mention that they all have two uh, rules that they all have in common. They all fly, and they're all ethereal. Yeah, and what that is is you ignore modifiers, positive or negative, when making save rolls for attacks that target them. So they don't get the benefits of cover or like obstacles or anything that increases their save. Their save is so, their save. What's on the paper yes. is what they get. But it it doesn't get any better. But it never gets any worse. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, and a lot of uh, you get the the frightful touch or the spectral claws on a lot of different things. You get when people have little spirits around them. The frightful yes. touch shows up a lot. So I'm just let's explain that one now so that we don't have to keep sure. repeating it. Unmodified hit roll of a six, it just does a mortal wound. Now, I like how they're wording this now. The, it inflicts a mortal wound and the attack sequence ends. Do not make a wound or save roll. It's the same thing as before. You do a mortal wound instead. Yes. But now they've got like this unified wording for it. So she's got, you know, those handmaidens. They get six attacks combined. Um, any sixes, mortal wound, don't, you know, don't worry about it. 
Yeah, so on average, you're going to do a mortal wound every time they attack, but still. Now, let's look at some of her cool... Should we go through the weapons first real quick? I mean... Yeah, and her profile, too. Probably bears worth mentioning. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, So she's movement six, four up save, brave ten, like most undead, and then she's only seven wounds. Um, And that does sound a little low when you compare it to, like, the other three Mortarks, but there's a reason for it. Um, Because she can heal a bunch with all those things we saw already? Yes, because she can heal a lot. Yeah. Um, The Staff of Midnight is her primary melee weapon. Uh, Three attacks, threes by threes, Ren 2, damage D3. So it's a pretty good wacky stick. And it's got a two-inch range. Yeah. So she can hide behind some units and whack over them. But, um, and then the, the bridesmaids, uh, one inch, six attacks, four by four, no rent damage one. But if they roll a six to hit, it's the frightful touch. So they deal mortal wound. Nice. Uh, let's see. We'll just, you want to take turns with some of this? Cause she's got so many cool things. Yeah, sure. Right. She's got the grave sands of time once per battle in the hero phase. You can choose either to inflict D6 mortal wounds on an enemy hero within six inches or heal D6 wounds to this model. So if she's hurting, put some wounds back. If she's not, just, I mean, seriously, D6 wounds, you could take out a character, a smaller character. You could just pop. Yeah, or take a substantial chunk out of a big one. Yeah, I mean, heck, uh, last time I was playing with my Stormcast, I think, I, I mean, my best character has only six wounds. Yeah, for your for the infantry character, unless you're playing a dragon or something. But yeah. I mean, if you're having heroes on foot, you're you know you're usually peeking out about six wounds. She there's a chance she could flat out just kill them. Mm-hmm. And it's only once per game, but you know I'll take it. I'll, yeah, yeah, I like it. You know, it's 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 a free shot. And if 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 you don't get it, then just heal some wounds. There's no characters near. Her. Okay, well she's taking three or four wounds. I'll just get them back. Hmm. Yeah, so then we have Lifting the Veil. So at the start of your hero phase, you get to pick an enemy unit within 12 inches that a lender can see and roll a die. On a 1, nothing happens. On a 2, that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. And in addition, if any enemy models are slain by this ability, she heals another D3 wounds. And that's every hero phase. Yeah. She just picks someone out and lifts the veil, and then... As long as she doesn't roll a one, they're taking... That's, oh, God, I love... God, she's awesome. Yeah, they're taking anywhere between two to six mortal wounds just for nothing. There's no roll to hit, and then she heals D3 if she kills something. So even if she only kills one, which she's going to kill at least two one-wound models, that's a big deal. Yeah, and even if you're facing some two-wound models, like Stormcast, are all minimum two-wound models. Yeah, auto-kill one anyway. She's going to kill at least one. And get back D3 wounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is the Mortark of Grief. Plus one to the number of models that flee from enemy units that fail a Battleshock test while they are within 12 inches of her. Uh, yep, I'll take it. Oh, once again, another just awesome passive. She's just got this. Yep. What else? Uh, so then we got Whale of the Damned. So this is the Bridesmaids. Uh, at the start of your shooting phase, you roll 2d6 for each enemy unit within 10 inches of this model, and if the roll is higher than its bravery characteristic, they suffer d3 mortal wounds. And again, if you're within range of Night Hunts, you're minus one bravery for the 6 inches, 
And then you have this going off, and then you have the lifting the veil. There's, she does so much damage out of sequence. Yes. Honestly, and she uh, uh, and she's dirt cheap when you look at it overall. Yeah, I mean, she is a frightful squishy at four, four up save with seven wounds with the six up deathless minions, but you've still got... It's if a you lot make it to, to your with. hero phase, she's going to get back some wounds, and you can always use the Grave Sands of Time. Plus, there's other things. Plus, she gets... I mean, she's night... So she gets that Deathless save, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, she gets the save, and if uh, unit punks from Battleshock, she heals wounds. So Right. I mean, she she's actually... It's, it's like as long as she's in the thick of it and stuff around her is dying... She's actually not nearly as squishy. Yeah, I mean her wound meter may be jumping up and down a needle like like you're like you're watching somebody on a, on a you know whose heart's fibrillating. But it, uh, I no, I love I love her. I love her story. Mm-hmm. I love oh, the more I go through this book, the more I'm like, I need this model. Yes. Um. Okay, so she does have. Uh, she can do two spells. And two unbinds. So she got Arcane Bolt. She got Mystic Shield. Um, she gets a spell from... Does she get all... The, she knows... She, she gets a spell from the Lore of the Underworlds. A spell from the Underworlds. Um, if you're playing in Realms, she gets those, but we're not going to play that game right now. Uh, and then she gets Grief Stricken. Seven up. Pick an enemy unit within 18 inches and visible to her. Until the next hero phase, minus one from hit rolls for attacks made by that unit, and plus one to hit rolls made against that unit in melee. Mm-hmm. So you could actually stack this with some of those other things, given the plus ones to hit to units. Oh, this is yep. That's great, and I just love it. It's like there, and it, it it's that grief stricken. The grief hits them, and they are fighting more poorly and defending more poorly. It's yeah, you know overwhelming waves. Yeah. <laughs> and what's her awesome command ability? So this one, I like just the name of it because it's no rest for the wicked. <laughs> um, so you use this command ability in your hero phase if she's your general and on the table. And if you do so, you can return one slain model to each friendly summonable Nighthaunt unit that is within 12 inches of her. Now, if you stack the command points, you can put easy three models back. So, again, this is... They don't have a lot of, like, passive reanimation, but they get to put a lot of models back very quickly. Oh, yeah, she's great. And seriously, for for 240 like Yeah, she's cheap as chips. I'll take that every day of the week. So then we bring in her husband, Kurdos Valencian, the Craven King, Who's 20 points cheaper than her? Mm-hmm. So you can bring them both in for under five. Um, he's got the same basic stats as her. Yep. The, the four up, save, ten bravery, six moves, seven wounds. Flying, ethereal. He's got the specters around him. They've got frightful touch. In fact, they're exactly the same with the six wounds and the fours by fours. Um, so basically a lot of that same stuff. His scepter's pretty nice. Yeah, his scepter's really gnarly. Um, 
So you're looking at one inch range, five attacks, three by three, Ren two, damage D3. And he's got an ability that if the unmodified wound roll for an attack made by his scepter is a six, the damage characteristic gets jumped to D6 instead of D3. Boom. Yeah. yeah. No, he... Oh. So that's his soul-crushing smite. Um, I like this one. If I cannot rule, none shall rule. It's, 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 it's got... Uh, it's got flashes of Cetra in there. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. At the start of the enemy hero phase, after the opposing player receives their command point for the turn, roll a die. On a five up, subtract one from the enemy player's command points to a minimum of zero. and So basically, steal the command point. Yep. After they get their command point at the start of their hero phase, you roll a die, and on a five up, you take it from them. Yes. That's... <laughs> that could frustrate and, an, uh, an opponent really quickly. Yeah, and there's like you can start underbidding with the command points, but then you're not spending points on your army. This guy's ability to shut down a hero phase, if you haven't got a battalion or bought extra command points, you might be looking at getting shut out of your hero phase, which is. A massive threat. So this guy suddenly becomes a very big target priority. Yeah. And then his other ability is Suffer No Rival. So you can reroll failed hit rolls for attacks made with his scepter if the target is the enemy general. So situational, but if he gets to reroll failed to hit rolls and then he gets the unmodified wound roll of a six at Ren 2, he can punch a hole in just about anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, re-rolling on threes. He's gonna yeah. even if he doesn't get the D six, he's gonna get enough of those with the Ren two. Your even your four up guys are are only saving on sixes. They're not saving that much. Yeah, he's, he's this guy. Can, this guy's a beast. Actually, yeah. or he could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's I, made to be Alinder's like strong man, and that's exactly what he is. You have potentially, potentially. 15 wounds with a perfect attack on him. That's with no sixes. Mm -hmm. That jumps up to potentially 30 wounds. Now, you ain't going to get... You you roll five sixes to attack, and they all get through. God bless you. It's the wound. Oh, it's the two wound rolls. Oh, that's right. That's right. So that's a six. So, um, yeah, you got five hits, re-rolling hits. If you get five sixes to wound, then your your opponent's just going to... You might as well put your head down. But... I mean, seriously, 10, 15 wounds, and then their bravery's mm-hmm. down by one, and they're going to break and run, and if Lady Olinder's by, more guys are running? Yeah. I mean, and then you're fighting the general? Oh, if it's against the general, then you can... You're Oh, this is... He's... Oh, God. See, oh. I got so yeah. excited prepping for this, going... Oh my god, uh, I'm building Nagash. I'm going to play with him at some point, but I might just focus on doing Night Haunts and then adding Nagash and Skeletons later. Like, this is... Yeah. Or even if you are building mainly Legions and Nagash, you can take Valentin as an ally, because most of them can take Night Haunts. And you can still do all of his abilities, because none of these are being dependent on being Night Haunt Allegiance. Oh, I mean, no. Yeah, he loses a lot with the Allegiance ability, but 
he's still pretty nasty without it. Yeah. Now, how do, now how does that work if he comes in as an ally? Does he get he still gets his uh does he still get his bat, his his basic allegiance abilities or is that just if that's night haunt so then he doesn't get those? Those like the minus one bravery, the healing wounds if things fail battle shock, that's all night haunt allegiance abilities. Oh, so, so he would lose those. So if he comes in as an ally, what does he get? Just nothing? I I've never brought he in I never bring an ally. Save. He gets the death save. Because he is a friendly death. Okay. So, all right, all right. So he'll get the death save with just the six up death save. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. I, I but get he has to be within range. Yeah, but he has to be within range of another hero, I believe. It's a little tricky with the death because they focus on the death keyword. Okay. So I'd have to double check the wording in Legions of the Gash. Oh, okay. Um, now, Reichnor the Grim, he, the Grim Hailer, he's the guy riding the, the... The crazy horse with the candles on his back and his head. And it's the, it's the winged nightmare, right? Yeah, the push-fit model that does so much... Like, the model is ridiculous. Is he the one that comes in the, in the... He's not the one that comes in the, in the box set, is he? No, the starter box is a Knight of Shrouds Knight of Shrouds, horse. okay. Yeah, no, he's his own separate box. Right. He's still bananas. Um, same same stats as the other two heroes, except he's got a 14-inch move because he's on a flying horse. Yes. He's flying. He's ethereal. Um, he His... Uh, he, now, he's got the frightful touch, but he doesn't have all the guys around him. It's on his own weapon. Yeah, it's on his scythe. And it does two mortals. Not one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The profile for the Fell Reaper is two-inch range, four attacks, four to hit, three to win, run one damage, two. Um, But obviously, if you get the unmodified six, the two mortal wounds. And then you're going to see this a lot with the Wraith units, like the actual Wraiths with the Scythes. They get to reroll failed hit rolls for attacks made by their melee weapon, like the Scythe part, if the target has five or more models. So and that's the reaped like corn ability. So he's actually more accurate like than actual when it corn. Yeah, but that's, that makes sense. He's 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 it's like let's say reaped like corn. He's waving a giant scythe. The more guys in the unit, the more crowded the field is, the better chance he has to hit. Mm-hmm. I mean that's playing to the to the story aspect of it. So I like you got to have five or more models in the unit, and then suddenly boom, he's hitting really well. Yep. Um. He does have those corpse candles on the top of the head. We talked about those earlier. Um, so in your hero phase, before this model attempts to cast a spell, you can snuff out a corpse candle. Okay, If you do, pick either this model or an enemy model within 12 inches. That model suffers a mortal wound. If the mortal wound is suffered by an enemy model, plus one to your casting roll. If you take it on yourself, plus three to your casting roll. That's pretty good. Yeah. Seven wounds. There's ways to heal wounds uh, on care on, on models and stuff like that, so that's not bad. Question. That's a mortal wound that you took from the spell. Do you get your six up save against that? Yeah, but if you suffer if you don't suffer it, then you don't get the bonus. Oh. 
if the mortal wound was suffered. Oh, so you have to take the mortal wound. You can't save it. If you save it, then it doesn't work. Okay, so you don't take the save. I just want to know if there was a way to cheat the system. You know nope. me. I'm a power gamer. I like yeah. to, I like to try to weasel my way out of taking those extra wounds. Mm-hmm. So he's got that as we go into this next thing. He's a wizard. He only gets one spell per hero phase. And he gets the two basics plus his signature, which is Wraith Storm. So since cast value 7 or 4, if you get the bonus off, <laughs> um, you get to pick an enemy and then 12 that's visible to Raikonur. And that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. And if you kill any models as a result of that spell, that unit takes another D3 mortal wounds. <laughs> yeah. So it's a neat trick. And then his plus three to cast, you could also use for some of the high value endless spells like Purple Sun or the Pendulum or the Geminids or whatever. There's a lot of things that he can do because he just flies up 14 or uses the ambush thing with the spirits and his next hero phase, he can pop off one of those big spells down the side and it can potentially do a lot of damage, especially the pendulum because the pendulum always goes in that line. Right. Cause they FAQ'd that. So you were right. Um, it's like you call up the giant pendulum and it's basically one big swing of the pendulum. It is just swinging mm-hmm. in one direction shoof, across the board. Yep. Very nice. All right. Um, those are the three named characters. We have, I don't know what, like seven more heroes. Uh, more like nine, but sure. Oh, nine! I did. Oh, I had to turn the page. Give me a minute. So, we will do the other nine heroes when we get back. And well, after that, actually, it's only uh, two, four. And then there's like ten units. Nine heroes, plus... nine units, and then three spells. Ah, oh, easy peasy. Oh, yeah. Take a break and come back with these dudes. There are some, from Shyishian scholars to the astronomers of Azerheim, who believe there is a correlation between the appearance of spirit torments and the Stormcast Eternals. Whether sheer coincidence or symptomatic of cunningly laid traps, the appearance of Sigmar's storm hosts, especially in Shyish but also in other realms, draws an inordinate number of night haunt processions containing one or more spirit torments. On battlefields, where the two sides meet in open warfare, there have been multiple sightings of the soul capturing wraiths using the power of their shacklegeist chains to prevent the typical return to the heavens of the slain stormcast. Surely Nagash seeks to reclaim souls he sees as rightfully belonging to him. And we are back talking knights and guardians and all the extra spectral, extra special spectral commanders of the night haunts. You got that out. I didn't think you were going to do it. <laughs> I didn't think so either, but we made it work. Um, so 
the first of these guys is the Knight of Shrouds, and with the Soul War starter set, we got a new version, which is a Knight of Shrouds on Ethereal Steed. Um, so we're going to kind of cover their basic abilities at the same time, because it's the same thing. Um, so they both have a 4-up save, both Bravery 10. Uh, the one on foot or floating has a 5 wounds and movement 6. The one on the steed is 6 wounds, movement 12. They both have the same sword, so it's 1 inch, 4 attacks, 3s by 3s, run 1 damage, 2. They fly, they're ethereal. Um, and then the sword itself has a stolen hour special rule. So you have to do wounds by the sword first. Actually, no, their swords are different. Never mind. Um, so for the shroud, no, their swords on, are the same. The only difference is without there's only a there's an extra oh, rule right. for the horse because you have yeah. to do this before you do the horse's attacks. Yeah, there so you, it is. You allocate wounds by the sword first. And every time a wound is inflicted by the sword that kills an enemy hero, he gets a wound back. Mm-hmm. So basically, you got to do the sword and then that. And if the enemy hero dies, then you have to. But you have you to allocate that before the hooves and teeth. You can't have the mm-hmm. hooves and teeth soften him up and then kill him. He's got to come in straight for the kill. Yep. All right. And then the command abilities are different. For the one on foot, it's Spectral Overseer. So you're using this at the start of your combat phase, and if you do so, pick a friendly model with that command ability and add one to the to-hit rolls for friendly Nighthawk units while they are wholly within 12 of that model in the combat phase. And this you can stack multiple times. It's like a Lord Celestin on foot, but it doesn't change their Frightful Touch because that's an unmodified 6 to hit. Right, but you you can take a night haunt unit, which already you got a bunch of guys, a bunch of attacks, and they're hitting on threes. Drop it once, they're hitting on twos, or the guys who are dropping on fours with three attacks. <clears throat> I mean, heck, the spirit torments—they've got three attacks, fours by threes, two ren d three damage. I can drop that down to twos. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then the on horse his. Command ability is Lord of Geist. So at the start of the command phase, or start of the combat phase, you get to pick a friendly Night Haunt unit holier than 18 inches of him, and you add one to the tax characteristic of that unit's melee weapons in that combat phase, but you cannot hit the same unit more than once. Right. So you can phase. you can use the ability more than once, but not on right. the same unit. Mm-hmm. Still pretty good. Yeah. So. Oh, I like those. And you get one in the box, so you might as well... Yeah, you know, and the models are ridiculous. Every, okay, I think every model, every every model in this line is great. Uh, like I said, the only one that I'm hinky on is the Glaive Wraith Stalkers. I know what they're supposed to be. They look like Undead Skaven, and that's all. Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. It's just compared to everything else, I look at that one and go, huh. Yeah, and the Herodons bother me a little bit. Um, I don't like their arms. Are those the guys they look with like the... They're the girls with the, with the slasher scythe arms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, they look too much like Hormigons to me, and <laughs> that bothers me. I know not I what just, you speak of. That is a different thing. Oh, come on. I know. I'm just Hormigon? Yeah. I know it's you. 40K. I'm just, you know. All right, Being so we, let's... Uh, 
let's hit this Guardian of Souls with the Nightmare Lantern, which we already talked about the cool things a light Nightmare Lantern can do. Um, and just about all these heroes are, in fact, most of these heroes, in fact, I think all of the heroes, pretty much have the same stats. I mean, guys on horses can go farther, but they're that five wounds, six move, four save, ten bravery. Yes. It's like the basic. Uh, this guy can fly. This guy's ethereal. Um, his nightmare lantern adds one to wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly night haunt units wholly within 12 inches. So that nightmare lantern is already adding one to wound. And then if you give it, if you use one of your artifacts for it, that's where you can uh, plus one to cast or add back the wounds and all that stuff. Uh, so and once per battle, and that that's the one you were talking once per battle, reroll failed hit rolls, and you're already adding one to the wound rolls automatically with this, it can get silly. Yeah. Or even if you put a Knight of Shrouds on foot next to this guy, where they get to get the plus one to hit rolls, and then they get plus one to the to wound rolls. And then um, they're re-rolling the to hit rolls. Yeah, that for can get, some things, yeah. Well, it can get wonky if you can use that other ability. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, he's also a wizard, cast one, unbind one, arcane bolt, mystic shield, and spectral lure. Do you want to do the lure? Sure. So cast value six. If it's if it goes off, you pick a friendly summonable, summonable Nighthaunt unit wholly within 24 inches of him. You can either heal D6 wounds that have been allocated to that unit, or if no wounds have been allocated, you can return a number of slain models equal to the combined wounds characteristic of equal or less than the roll of the D6. So you're going to be putting a lot of models back if it's one wound models, like chain gas. or uh, Yeah, the chain gas. No. One of those. Chain rasp. Yes. Or the uh, wraith units. There's a lot of things that get put back very quickly, but he's also your only one that can heal outside of Lady Alinder. You're going to so. have one of these guys. In mm-hmm. your you're going to have at least one. Right. And that's why you look at that and you're like, oh, do I want to take, the, am I going to give the, those things as artifacts to him? Uh, yeah, you mm-hmm. might. You absolutely might. Um, especially because these guys, well, they're actually, 140 actually is pretty fair for them. You're not going to spam them out too much. Yeah, it's just they do so much for the army with the plus one to to the wound rolls, and then their wizards, and then their spell heals models. They're a very important piece. Um, And then there's something on here that a lot of people looked at, so it's like, what's this mall of judgment? Because there's two weapon profiles, but the model currently in stores only has a sword. Oh. Uh, There's a limited edition store-exclusive Guardian of Souls with a maul and, like, a handheld lantern, not the lamppost. Okay. Um, And for those that don't know what I'm talking about, you can see it on page uh, 87. I don't know what you're talking about either, so I'm going to look myself. Yeah. Oh, there he is. He's standing in the back. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't even notice him. That maul just looked like a big-ass axe. It is a big-ass axe. I don't know why it's a maul. But regardless... Well, if you can find something to replace it with an axe. There you go. Yeah. Um, 
and, and he's you know he's not overly powerful with his attacks because no. he's either got one or the other, and the chill blade, which is what he norm- most of them come with, three attacks, threes by threes, one rend, one damage. I mean, he's more like a wizard than than most of these things are. Yeah, I mean, he'll be wounding on twos because he gets the plus one for himself, but it's still not a lot of damage. No, he's there to he's there to buff and to and to replace. Mm-hmm. All right, what else we got here? Uh, spirit torments. And they're, you know, they're the, the basic. Five wounds, six, ten, and four. Yep. They're fly, they're ethereal. What else have they got here? So they're chains, they're weapons. Uh, it's a two-inch reach, three attacks, fours by threes, rend two, damage D3. So they can get a lot of damage out. Uh, they have an interesting ability that will combine into the chain ghast, which are their assistants. Um, so you get to re-roll hit rolls of one for friendly night haunts while they're wholly within 12 inches of any spirit torment. Um, and this guy's on a 40 millimeter base, so he's got a pretty good sized bubble around him. Um, and then captured soul energy. And this is another weird passive stacky heal. So you'll have to bear with us on this rule. I like this. So at the start of the battle shock phase, if three or more enemy models are slain that turn, pick a friendly night haunt, Unit within six inches of this model and heal D3 wounds. If it's three or more enemy Stormcast Eternal models, you just heal a flat three wounds instead of D3. Um, and then alternatively, instead of healing, if models from that unit have been slain, you can return a number. Um, but this is just the flat D3. There's no bonus for the Stormcast Eternal for returning models. Right. So you're healing the wounds, but you're returning just to the D3. Um, it's three models anywhere on the battlefield. You, no, can pick a, you can pick a unit within six to heal, but it's it's at the start of the Battleshock phase. If three or more enemy models were slain that turn. Yeah. So it's just any three enemy models on the table. Mm-hmm. That's... I mean that, especially with uh, you know more hordy type armies. Yeah, you're going to get that. Get this. E- yeah, you're going to get it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do point out if you got one or more spirit torments, it's three models per torment, and they can't use the ability more than once in the same battle shock phase. Yeah. So killing nine, if you've got one, he doesn't get it three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. then he leads a bunch of chain ghasts. Uh, and their difference from all the other guys' stats is they only have two wounds. Um, they fly. They're ethereal. If they're within 12 inches, wholly within 12 inches of the Spirit Torment, reroll hit rolls of one for friendly Night Haunt units while they're wholly within 12 inches. Wait. While this unit yeah. is wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Spirit Torment, you can reroll hit rolls of one for friendly Night Haunt units that are wholly within 12 inches of this unit. Yeah, they are essentially... A, the rule is another link in the chain. So ah, okay. you're essentially chaining out the bubble of the spirit torment for Nagash's bidding. Okay, so they'll be within 12 of him, so they'll get the rerolls from his ability. And then yep. someone wholly within 12 of them is also going to get it because, as you just put it, it's a another link in the chain. 
Yep. I totally misread that when I first read it. Uh, that's it's it, the wording of it is weird until you put the two of them together. Nice though. Yes. And it's very thematic and especially with like it's your chaining abilities. So you're trying to keep your units within range. So there's a lot to these guys. Oh, and they've got the thing that those Stormcast guys with the axes have. Mm-hmm. Each model gets a number of attacks equal to the number of enemy models within two inches of it. Yeah, in melee. In melee. So if you're fighting a whole lot of guys near you on small bases, suddenly you've got a ton of attacks. Right. And it's fours by threes, run one, damage one. But if you've got a lot of attacks and you're holding within 12 of your spirit torment, rerolling ones to hit, you can suddenly put out a lot of dice very quickly. And these things are taken in spots of two. Uh, at How many points are they? They are two for 80, up to four in a unit. So they're expensive, but they are a really great buff piece for your army. And they have one of the few shooting attacks available. Yeah, 15-inch um, attack, D3 of yeah. them. Fours by threes, rend two, which is important, damage one. Um, and fun fact, the another link in the chain, it doesn't say melee. So they get to reroll ones on their rolls to hit from their shooting attack. Good for them. Yes. Gosh, I just I, the synergies in here. Are, it's like, this is an army that I need a cheat sheet for. Yes. Absolutely 100%. I'd need to keep track of all this stuff. I'd have to have it written down. But just by the phase, this is yeah. what these guys do. Make sure you do this because until I've got it memorized, there's so much that's happening. There's like, because this is like Synergy City. And you're there. Seriously, you come ro- rocking in and you got your Lady Alinder and you got your uh, Rufus T. Firefly next to her. What is it? Kurt, Kurt, Kurt. I always forget his name. Valentian. Kurt Os Valentian. And you guys, seriously, you guys are the mayor of Synergy Town. That's what's going on. It's just so much happening. Yeah, it's like a death equivalent to Stormcast. It's is really what it is. Maybe that's why I like this so much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you want to take the Dreadblade Harrow? Yeah, so these guys are the lieutenants for the Knights of Shrouds. Um, they're move 12. Other than that, it's the same base profile. Five wounds, four save. Uh, their sword, one inch, three attacks, threes by threes, run one, damage one. And the horse is, of course, what it is. Um, so again, ethereal, flying, woo. Um, he's got a bunch of different rules. <laughs> um, so if he is more than three inches away from any enemy model at the start of your movement phase... Instead of doing a normal move, you can remove him from the battlefield and set him up anywhere on the battlefield more than nine inches away from any enemy models. So he's one of those disappearing, reappearing without the command ability. He can be anywhere. If I'm not engaged in combat, I can pop up nine inches away from any anyone and become a buffer, a bunker. You can you know pray to pray to get a nice roll on your charges. Mm Hmm. So yeah. good. Uh, and then his sword has a special rule, so you get to add one to the damage characteristic of the Dreadblade if he charges, so he goes up damage two. Or if he didn't charge, he gets to add plus one to his attacks. So that goes from three to four. And then the Curse of Loyalty, 
So you get to re-roll wound rolls of one for attacks made by the Smiles Dreadblade if they're within nine inches of a friendly knight or shrouds, because again, they're inspired by their captains. And that was the guy we talked about earlier, the guys who betrayed their... The Knight of Shrouds are the ones who betrayed their people to become a lieutenant in Nagash's army. And these are the guys who were their lieutenants who watched them and did nothing. Right. <laughs> and here comes the Lord Executioner. Make way for the Lord Executioner. This is the guy um, who has the innocence he killed going around him, protecting him, and also mocking him. And he's, again, 5, 6, 10, and 4. Uh, as we talked about, his great axe, uh, three attacks, threes by threes, two rend, one damage. Uh, he can fly, he's ethereal, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if an unmodified wound roll is a six, add two to the damage characteristic. So he becomes damage three if he rolls a six to wound. Uh, let's see, what else can he do? Uh, start of the combat phase, pick an enemy hero within three inches of this model, subtract one from hit rolls for attacks made by that hero in the combat phase. So if he's near heroes, they're minus one to hit. Mm-hmm. Which is good. And uh, and he... Now, the disembodied skulls... I, this was the question I had. I knew it was somewhere. I forgot who it was. So, we have the Allegiance ability, Deathless Spirits. You take yep. a wound, you roll... Okay, so first they take the wounds, then I roll my saves, then I fail my saves, then I get my Deathless Spirit six up, right? And then he's got disembodied skulls. Roll a d6 each time you allocate a mortal wound. On a five up, the wound is negated. So he yep. gets this as well on mortals? Yes. So I got my four up by ethereal which you save. Won't get against mortals, uh, which you won't get against mortals. Okay, so you don't get that against mortals. But I get my six up. Because the six up works against everything, and then I get a five up after that. Yeah. Okay. So I either get fours by sixes or sixes by fives, depending on uh, which uh, which type of wound is being put on him. But either way, he's getting a double save. Yes, he's a he's a tank. He doesn't do a lot of damage unless he gets lucky. But his job is to fly up to a character. And tank them, and essentially, like most of the big characters that he's going to want to go after, hit on threes. He's now making them hit on fours, which is a substantial difference in their impact. Right. I mean, he's only eighty points too. Yeah, he is cheap as chips. I like it. I like it. Did I say I like mm-hmm. it? Because I like You've it. You've said it a lot, but that's okay. <laughs> what are you trying to say? I'm just saying. Go ahead, say it. See, you know you want to say fanboy. Say it. Go ahead, say it. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You're thinking it. I can read your mind. Lindsay's even saying you're thinking it. And she hasn't been speaking up too much lately because she's still pissed about the, the, the gamer garrison. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Let's get to the Tomb Banshees. Yep. Uh, uh, so this is the model that we've had for a while, but now fully fleshed out, as it were. Now, she's um, a hero with only four wounds, but she's got the six, ten, and four as well. Yeah. Uh, her knife, it's only one attack, fours by threes, ren two, damage d3. Um, if she rolls an unmodified hit roll of six, does d3 mortal wounds. So it's got potential to get a lot of damage out of it quickly, even if it just hits at ren two. Still really good. Um, and then her howl. So at the start of your shooting phase, pick an enemy and then 10 and roll 2d6. 
Um, if the roll is higher than that unit's bravery characteristic, they take a number of mortal wounds equal to the difference. And again, if you're in combat with Nighthaunt, they have a minus one bravery buff right there. And that's then she the, yells at you. That's her bread and butter. Yeah, is, that's what Banshees have always done. Is hoping to roll that 12. They're not the greatest in the fight, but you're hoping to roll the boxcars against people's bravery. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the bravery characteristic, and you're lowering the bravery characteristic. Does this... Uh, but does um, uh, you know how the bravery is up one per tens of models? Does that count too? That's it's- in the battle shock phase. Oh, that's in the battle shock phase. Oh, see, here I am giving them bonuses they don't deserve. Yeah, so like a unit of like sixty grots in battle shock would be like bravery nine ish after taking models. But no, there's just bravery three. <laughs> um. If it's if they have the Badman banner, then they go up by two. But still, still, um, yeah, there's a lot of potential damage output. Yeah. Okay. And th- here's the last hero is the Karen Wraith, which is the one we've had, like the first of the really awesome sort of the, the these the ghost. Mo- you know, it had with the little just flimsy bit holding it to the bottom. It looks like it's just floating over. Mm-hmm. Um. Same stats as the Banshee, you know, four, six, ten, four wounds, six, ten, four. Um, his scythe has a two-inch range, three attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage two. Um, not bad. It's uh, He can fly. He's ethereal. Um, he's got reaped like corn, so if there's more than five models in the unit, he can reroll his hit rolls. And the unmodified hit roll is a six- Two mortals. So it's got the frightful touch for two mm-hmm. mortals that the other things have. Because just like those spirits flying around with the frightful touch, here's a her- hero and he just he is the frightful touch. Yes. So um that's that's all the heroes. Yes, there's a lot of them. And they all do different pieces. Yeah. Uh, every it, it I like that there's something in there for almost every little bit of your playstyle. Mm-hmm. Depending on what you feel the need to throw in, um, you can you can really mix it up the different little heroes with this army. Um, you like you said, it's like Stormcast. You need a lot of heroes. I could see you maxing out on heroes on this army really easily. Yeah, and some of them are really cheap. The Banshee herself, she's only eighty points. The Cairn Wraith is, is 60. only sixty. So if you've got some points and you don't want to take an endless spell, but you need another character model. Those guys are good, cheap options. Same with the Lord Executioner. Yep. All right, so let's uh, let's jump into these regular, the non-hero models. We got nine of them. Let's let's go through these because there's a, there's there's some good stuff here. Uh, once again, they get better with the synergies. Mm-hmm. So you want to take the Reapers or the Stalkers? It doesn't matter. Right, I'll take the stalkers then. They ugly, but I'll take them. Sure. Um, one wound, six ten four again. It's just the six ten four keeps popping up. Um, so they've got a two attacks, fours by threes, no rend, one damage. Pretty basic. Um, now they you can add in a drummer, and that allows them to retreat and charge in the same turn, um, which is nice. Uh, and then you can reroll failed hit rolls if the unit or the t- if this unit or the target unit made a charge in the same turn. 
So, yeah, if you charge or are charged, you get to reroll fail the hit rolls. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, I was going to say, I didn't realize it was if you're charged, too. I was going to say, there's your purpose for the drummer is to keep retreating and charging and getting the rerolling failed hit rolls. But mm-hmm. uh, if they charge you, if you, if you retreat and fail the charge and they charge you, you're still getting them. Yep. And, and that's it. It's pretty simple. Um, these guys, the, the thing that uh, they come in fours for 60 points. You can go up to 16 of them. So yeah. a lot of these little small units of, of slightly beefier, but at one wound apiece, eh, I don't know. Plus, I don't like the models. I don't know that I'm taking them. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about something that you are going to take. Uh, the Grim Guest Reapers. Uh, these things are movement eight, which is crazy. Eight, uh, the four up save, one wound, ten bravery. Uh, there's two types of weapons in here. The basic guys have a scythe, so that's two inch reach, two attacks, fours by threes, run one damage one. Uh, they get the reaped like corn on the scythe, so they get to re-roll hit rolls for attacks if they target a unit has five or more models. Um, so that's a lot of damage at a two-inch reach. And they're on 32-millimeter bases, but you can still get that second rank in. So they put out a lot of attacks. Um, and then the leader of the unit is an extoller, so he gets the death knell, which is the bell. Right. Um, and that's two-inch reach, one attack, three by three, run one damage, two. Um you do the death knell after you do the scythes. And for each enemy model that is slain by wounds inflicted by a death knell, you can inflict a mortal wound on an enemy unit within three inches of the model armed with the death knell. Doesn't have to be the same unit that he's that he's fighting. Right. Which In most cases it's going to be, but depending on where your opponent's characters are, you can sneak some extra mortal wounds in there. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. And for their cost at um, 10 for 140 or 360 for 30 at battle line, they can kick out a lot of damage, especially with how fast they are. Right. And uh, are those guys that you can boost the number of attacks with uh, with other characters, can't you? Uh, with, like, the Knight of Shrouds on horse, yeah. Yeah. Because that because it's a it's a, it's just a night haunt model, so yeah, night haunt summonable, and they are mm-hmm. talking of night haunt summonable. You've got the chain rasp hordes. Um, now these guys are battle line, ten for eighty, forty for two eighty. That's that's just good. Yeah. Now. These guys have two attacks apiece, fours by fours. They're they're only bravery six. They're six six five with a wound, and only and only a five up save. They're yeah. like they are, so they are not. But then again, if you got forty, you're already during your battle shock. You're up to nine. Uh, yeah, but it least. gets better, right? So now these guys, uh, the oh, plus one attack for the for the for your champion. Oh. There you go. As long as you've got your champion in the unit, their bravery is 10. Yeah, it's the inspiring light of the candles that oh, that's keeps right. them going. So He's got that. Oh, that uh, I'm forgetting my lore. He's got the candles, and they're all circling. They're coming around to him 
it keeps them going because they think that's their way out, but it's actually more of a prison. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, because I was looking at Thick One Six. No, they're tens. Yeah. It's tens situationally, so if you have a sniping ability, like a Star Drake or something, or a Slitter for that matter, you can take these models out and it dramatically changes their impact. Unless a lot you of their unit keep them out of the range of that guy. Yeah. You got a unit of 40, keep him in the middle. Yeah. You know, if it's a big horde. Um, also, uh, as long as you've got more than 10 models, you can reroll ones to wound. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I I like the chain rasp hordes. I think they're really, uh, you know, as long as you play them right and keep your keep your Dread Warden in there, um, I just I like what they can do. I mean, their their save isn't as great, but they are hacking away. Yeah, and they can put out a lot of attacks because um, they are small bases. You give them a plus one attack from the knight, and then you get to reroll, and then get to reroll. Like, there's so much you can stack on these things that make them so much better than what they are on paper. Right. Uh, okay, so you take the revenants. Okay, so these guys are also movement eight, uh, four up save, one wound, ten bravery. Sure, uh, their great blade is two attacks, threes by threes, run one damage, one one inch reach. These guys don't have a leader; it's just bros. Nothing crazy. Uh, fly ethereal, cool. You get to reroll failed hit rolls for attacks made by that unit if they're holier than. 12 inches of any friendly spirit torment or chain ghast. You normally get to reroll ones, but with these guys, they're feeling the presence of their captors, so they go all the harder. So it's 12 inches, reroll all of those failed to hit rolls, and that's Fearful Frenzy. And then their my personal favorite for them is Whirling Death. So they get to retreat and charge in the same turn, and at movement 8, chances are they can get over units in front to get to the squishy things behind. Yes. And in addition, you get to add one to the attacks characteristic of the Great Blades if it made a charge move in the same turn. So that's up to three attacks right there. Or four with a Knight of Shrouds on horse. Yeah, if he's within range. Now, these guys, they're only coming units of five, but it's only 90 points, which is still pretty cheap yeah. for what they can do. They max out at 20, but you do get the the big the big unit bonus where that's only 320. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the hardest thing here is is what to take. Like, what which synergies are you gonna are you gonna mix? Mm-hmm. So then, uh, why don't you take the banshees and then I'll take I'll take uh, I'll take the uh, hormigons. Okay, sure. <laughs> so the Mirmorn banshees probably some of the best models in this range. Period. Very pretty. hard to stop. Um, the use of the negative space is ridiculous, but. Um, so they're movement eight as well. Four up, one wound, brave ten. Cool. Uh, they have the same dagger as the tomb banshee. So one attack, four by three, rent two, damage d3. Um, ethereal fly. Their big thing is spell eaters. So once in each enemy hero phase, if they're within eight inches of an enemy wizard that successfully casts a spell, they can try to unbind it and you get to add one to the unbinding roll for every four models in the unit. They come in bots of four. Um, in addition, if this unit unbinds an enemy spell, you get to add one to the attacks characteristic of their daggers, 
until the next enemy hero phase. So that's pretty all right. They can get to do a lot more kick out now for their damage. Um, and then once they enter your hero phases, if they're within six inches of an endless spell, they can attempt to unbind it in the same way as if they were a wizard. And if it goes off, they take D3 mortal wounds, but then they get to add plus one to the attack's characteristic. Until your next hero phase, so okay. Yeah. So you can get up to a lot of damage, but the big thing is they can fly around and eat endless spells. Um, and for the cost you're paying for them, there are four of them for 80 points, I believe. Yeah, 12 for 210. They're yeah. only one wound apiece, so if they go after that endless spell and take it out, there's a good chance most of your unit's gone. Yeah, depending if you're within range of a hero or whatever. Um, so, yeah, not bad. Not bad at all. No, yeah, I like it. All right, uh, Dread Scythe Herodans, same basic stats, one wound, eights to move, ten and four. Uh, three attacks, fours by threes, one rend, one damage with their scythes. Um. Flying, ethereal, minus one from hit rolls for attacks made by enemy models within three inches of this unit unless they have a bravery characteristic of six or more. So, and that's after the minus one for them being night haunts. So it's still got to be. No. Oh. Because their bravery characteristic is the number that it is. Oh, okay. Okay. I Oh, so that doesn't change with the being okay i see what you're saying yeah that's still not bad um and then if the unmodified wound roll is a six it's damage two instead of damage one Mm -hmm. um they're okay yeah i'm not taking i I mean i'm I'm not seeing these uh, these guys i'm not i'm not falling over myself to take um, no, at five for ninety or twenty for three twenty. I'll take the blade geist revenants. They're the same points. Yeah, it's not as many attacks. Um, they do have like more damage potential, but they're not as accurate, and the models are no bueno. So I'm not looking to take them either. Right, but that whole retreat and charge that boosts them up to the same attacks, and the rerolling failed hit rolls. So, uh, if for you know, just lining them up against each other, I'll take the revenants. Look at me. Yeah. Look at me. This is it. Uh, I'm not taking these guys. I'm taking that. That's point for point. That's better. You are having an effect on me, my friend. No, it's just easy observation. Uh, or I'm also how to the play. models are fugly. So. Yeah, not not as good. Uh, yeah, not as good. I keep forgetting about them because you don't see them in a lot of things. I, I'm not seeing them in a lot of the pictures and stuff like that. Nope. 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 Those guys All are right. in the range. They don't look so good. No. All right. So Did then we move on to the things we've had. Did Spirit Host lose a wound? No. They've always been three wounds. Why did I think they were four? You and I played up against each other at Holy Havoc last year. Uh-huh. And I thought they were four wounds. I'm telling you, they used to be four wounds. They might not be in the new Nagash book, but they used to be because I remember I used to play them a lot, and I because uh, they had the three models, and I used to take I used to, I made my own conversions because I didn't like the the three ghosts in the sheets that they used to be. <laughs> so yes. I took the three um, spirit uh, armies of the dead models from the uh, 
Lord of the Rings. Lord line. of the Rings. And yep. you'd put three, and everyone always thought they were three wounds, but they were four, which is why the three models were sort of deceiving. Were they four in eighth edition? I'm 99% positive they were, because that's what everybody was like, wait, they have four wounds? And I'm like, yes, but there's only three models. Hey, look, I didn't make up the rules. Yeah. So, um, I, but I could be wrong, but I don't, I think for once I'm right. No, I think you're right. Um, they're pretty so, basic, but they're yeah. still good. Mm-hmm. They have frightful touch, six attacks, five by fours, but you're really looking for those sixes. Um, they're three wounds apiece at movement six, so they're a little slower, but that's still pretty all right for their cost because I think they're three for what? a buck twenty. Yeah, with no horde discount, they're a cheap battle line unit if nothing else. And a lot of people already have these if they've previously built night haunt armies, right? And just the amount of damage that they can put out is pretty high. Yeah, if you can get the if you can get the plus ones to hit or the re rolls to hit. Then, then they can do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the Hex Wraith. We've seen them before as well. They're 12-inch movement, two wounds, 10 and 4. Uh, two attacks. In fact, okay. Two attacks, fours by threes with a rend, one damage. The hooves, two attacks, fours by fives, no rend, one damage. So um, they can fly. They're ethereal. They get the frightful touch on their on their scythes. Sixes do immortal. Um, their claim to fame is their spectral hunters. Immediately after your unit has moved, you can pick an enemy unit that has enemy models that a model from this unit passed across. If you do so, roll a die for each model from this unit that passed across the enemy unit. On a five up, they take a mortal wound. So if you can, it's twelve inch movement. If you can fly, if you can fly the unit of five of them over. Um, over a unit, then that's five shots at a mortal wound. Yeah, and you can run and retreat at the same time. So these guys can do like the 13 to 18. Oh, that's true. Move out of combat so, so you can get to the squishy things behind the unit you're fighting. No, it's not so, every unit you pass everything. over, it's just one. Mm-hmm. So five of them for 160. Are you taking these guys? I <laughs> might take a unit of 10. Because they've got, I mean, because they can move. That's the thing that's really nice about them. Yeah, they can move. Uh, they have a lot of, they have a good wound count, and they have something that they can do every turn with the moving over stuff to slash at things. Um, you can get to the characters in the back, and they move really quickly. So if you've got to do a breakthrough type scenario, we've got to get to back objectives. If you don't ambush anything, like total commitment prevents you from putting stuff in reserves. Oh, here these guys can go in and then run. Oh, whoa, run right over and go threaten that back objective. So I think they definitely have a place. Well, and another thing I was thinking is I can run it all I want. Just you know, run them flat out to get them running over things, get them in a little fighty. If they start to get sort of out of the way. Or they get somewhere I don't necessarily want them to be. I can spectral summonize them right back to my general. Yep. And then boom, they're back where I want them, and I can pull them across. So those mm-hmm. there could be a good use for them. Yeah, I think they have play. I think it's just going to take a little bit of careful play. Got you. All right, now the black coach. Yes, the big one. You want to take this one? I know you're hot to chat about it. I love it so much. 12 wounds, 
10 and 4. Uh, its movement starts at 14 and can drop to 6, depending on how many wounds it takes. Okay. It does have a 10-inch range missile weapon. That's one attack, threes by threes, rend three, damage D3. Yeah, this one's weird because you the Wraith Driver gets either his Scythe or the Soul Reach Grasp. So you don't get both. Right. So it is a choice when you build the model. So the, that attack is only if you take the Soul Reach Grasp. Now, what's the difference? The Soul Reach Grasp, is, it's got a three-inch range. It's only one attack, but it's threes by threes with three rend and D3 damage. That's actually pretty good if you can get the hit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take the scythe, it's only one inch range. You've got three attacks, fours by threes, one rend damage, two. So you have a, a, a potential for a little more damage with the scythe, but I kind of like the grasp. I like that three rend. I don't get as many attacks, but if I'm near other models, it is a night haunt. You know, I can. I, I don't think it has to be summonable to get some of these bonuses. You can almost get that through, and a, that three rend is really nice against your harder enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got uh, your, you know, the the nightmares. The horse is pulling it. Eight attacks, fours by fours, and then um, you're just getting all sorts of bonuses. So let's kind of go through some of this nonsense here, uh, because even the relic bearers. They get attacks, but the attacks on that are dependent on some other stuff here. Oh, yeah, they start at nine. Yeah, they start yeah. at nine attacks, fours by fours, drop to five. So you're just got all sorts of attacks going on when you get yeah, into Yeah, and their claws are rend one. Yeah, for they are. The relic bears. So there's a lot of rend on this boat. Now, okay, if you do take the Reaper Scythe instead of the Soul Reach Grasp, if you take the three attacks, okay, that's got Frightful Touch. So, mm-hmm. uh, hit roll of six, two mortals. Yeah. Um, also, the Relic Bear Spectral Claws on a six do one mortal. Mm-hmm. So you got two Frightful Touches in this unit. Yeah, and because he's got a Scythe, he's got Reap Like Corn. So with the Scythe, he gets to re-roll filled hit rolls if he's targeting a unit that has five or more models. There's a lot of bonuses with that Scythe that almost can make it outweigh... That soul reach grasp, but I just kind of like that. I I, I kind of like the three rend. Yeah, it's also that it's another ranged weapon in an army that doesn't have a lot of ranged weapons. True, true. So what else do we got here? Um, okay, and there's the evocation of death, and this is the this is the the boosty boost. I love it. Okay, at the start of each battle round. So whether you go first or second, start of the round, roll three dice for each black coach on the battlefield. For each four up, it gains a level of power. Their cumulative lasts the rest of the battle. So your first four up, in your hero phase, heal D3 wounds to the model. In addition, at the start of the hero phase, pick a friendly summonable night haunt unit wholly within 12 inches and return D3 slain models to this unit. They must be set up within 12 inches of the model. So that first level already, it's got 12 wounds. It's getting D3 back, and you're returning three D3 slain models to another unit nearby it. Yep, and it's models, not wounds. Not wounds, models. And that's just the first level, folks, because it's going to get better. Next level, you got your Unholy Vigor. Reroll hit rolls of one for the melee weapons. In addition, 
you can run and charge on the same turn. So your 14-inch move becomes 15 to 20 inches plus a charge. Mm-hmm. Then you get to level 3 and you get your spectral scythes. After you complete a charge, pick an enemy unit within 1 inches on a 2-up D3 mortal wounds to that unit. So you're getting better. Level 4, you can retreat and charge in the same turn. So um, the stuff you just got in level 3 becomes better. Plus, and the stuff you got in level 2. And the stuff. Oh, that's right. Rerolling one. Okay. They can you run get and to charge. retreat, run, and charge. So you're in combat. You could retreat through it, which is 15. In the, if you don't take too many wounds or if you've healed them, 15, you, you can jump right through the unit you were attacking, go past it, retreat through it into another unit or near another. This is. Yeah. yeah. This is so dumb. realistically, you're looking at 14 inch move plus on average from the run and charge, you're going to get or run in a tree. You're going to get another seven. So it's 21 inches. And then you average another seven on the charge. How do you get another seven? Because you get to retreat, run, and charge. Oh, so you get the 14 in the retreat. Plus, you get to run with it, so that's up to six more. Up to, on average, it's seven between the run and the retreat roll. Or it's between the run roll. Yep, that's mine. That's my bad. So you're going to get 14 inches. And then, on average, you're going to get three for the run roll. So, 17, unless you go crazy and spend a command point and make your run roll a six. And out of six, that'd be a 20. And then, an average seven charge. But if you roll a 10 or more, you get to attack with everything. <laughs> on top of the D3 mortal wounds from the impact. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm healing and. I'm doing D3, and I'm returning D3 wounds if there's things near me. I'm re-rolling ones. I'm completing a charge, and they're doing D3. I can retreat, run, and charge. And then when I hit fifth level, in my hero phase, roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches. On a four-up, they take D3 more mortal wounds. Mm-hmm. Why do you like the black coach? Because it's awesome. Once it's charged up, it's stupid. Now, granted, yeah. everyone's trying to kill it, and they should, but for 280 points, which is actually more, I think that's the most expensive. That's it the is. most expensive unit in the in the in the army. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I love it. It yeah. looks cool. It does neat stuff. It's slowly building up that power as the thing inside it is coming back. Oh, I'm I uh, I love it. Love love this mod. I always have. I always will. Black coach. There you go. It's going to be at my end of the year thing. Yeah, and wow. if you take this in a death army like an ally night haunt, it doesn't depend on anything from night haunt to do all of this cool stuff. It gets better in night haunt, sure, but he can definitely slot into deathless as an ally. Love him. Okay, at two eighty, he can fit in anything. We need a break. We've been doing this yes. for forty five minutes now. We need a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the three special uh, endless spells. Endless spells and, and then the, the bucket of battalions. <laughs> the bucket of battalions. Got it. Uh, I like how you call it. That works. All right. We'll be back.
Okay, listeners, what's the number one rule of hobby gaming? Okay, well, the number one rule of hobby gaming is don't buy more models than you can paint, but we all break that rule constantly. So what's the real number one rule of hobby gaming? Support your friendly local gaming store. And my friendly local gaming store is Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. No, not that Wakanda. And no, not that Lindsay. So why Lindsay's Gamer Garrison? What do they have to offer? First, they carry everything Games Workshop. 40K, AOS, Blood Bowl, Necromunda, Kill Team, all the paint line. They even have Black Library books. They offer special discounts every day. And if you do go in there and there's something out of stock, special order discounts that you won't believe. After you buy all your models, feel free to stay and paint them at their fully stocked, totally free to use painting station. And then, once your army's ready, sign up for one of Lindsay's monthly tournaments. That's right, they have a local one-day event every single month, alternating between 40K and AOS. And that's still not all. Monday is Build and Paint Day. Come in on Monday, work on your latest project, you get a raffle ticket. Come in and play Warhammer on Saturday, get a raffle ticket. Now, what's the raffle? Every month, two winners receive a $50 gift card to use on GW products just for coming in and playing and painting and being part of the community. And that's not even all you get for coming in and being a part of the community. Come in for that Saturday gaming where you get a raffle ticket. You also earn a Lindsay's Gamer Token. And when you have eight tokens, you can turn them in and get free entry into one of the tournaments that I just mentioned earlier. And that's why I love Lindsay's Gamer Garrison. Fully stocked with all the GW product you could want, and they're doing their best to reward you for being part of the gaming community. What more could you ask for? A place to play, a place to build, a place to paint, a place to hang out, and a place that rewards you for being there. Folks, if you're looking for one place that will satisfy all your hobby needs, you have to come and see Lindsay's Gamer Garrison in Wakanda, Illinois. back with endless spells they're endless i can't say that endlessly because the show would be too long and i'll run out of breath but you know what i'm trying to do yeah oh we're glad you can end um (laughs) but so so there are three of them yep that came out with the night haunt release and they're all very different are we talking about the models or the spells Yes. Okay. Let's start and go along, and we can talk about them in general. The Reaper's okay. It's a giant scythe. It's mm-hmm. okay. I'm looking at it. It's okay. Um, now, this baby is only 40 points. Mm-hmm. Um, only Nagash and Nighthaunt Wizards can attempt to summon the Shyish Reaper. It costs seven Set it up wholly within six inches of the caster. It's a predatory endless spell. Move eight inches. Fly. Uh, once it's set up, you can immediately make a move with it. Boom. Drop it. Move it. Before moving it, pivot the model on the center of the base so that it points lengthways in the direction you wish it to move. 
Then move it in a straight line in that direction. The initial pivot point is free and does not count towards the distance the model moved. After it's moved, roll a die for each model that it moved over, including models it moved over when it pivoted. If the roll is equal to or greater than the model's save characteristic, the unit suffers a mortal wound. So it's for each model it passes over. So you kind of got to watch what it's going over. Um, that pivot can get it a bunch of extras. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got to roll higher than its save characteristic. So the better the save, the easier it is to kill. What if it does? I know there's very few things that don't have one anymore, but if it has no save characteristic, then it just can't hurt them? Correct. Okay. Like a griff hound. Right. Just walks away from this thing whistling. So <laughs> it's not. It's very situational where this thing is not going to at least make a roll at anything. And if you're playing a shy-ish, the shy ish, it can move 12 inches instead of 8. Yeah, um, it's a more flexible version of the pendulum, but its damage characteristic is different. Because you can move, it doesn't have to just move in one direction, it can move all over the board. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's only 40 points, and honestly, it's pretty much barely worth 40 points. It depends what you use it for. Raikonor can get it out there pretty quick because he moves really fast, but um, I don't know if I'm taking this one. I it's mean, a cool model. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I mean, I suppose if I've got 40 points to spare, but I might leave it off and try to get the get the Triumph. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. You want to take the... You want to... Which one do you want to take, Vault of Souls or Mortalis Terminexus? I'll do the Vault. Um, for starters, I'm not taking this because I don't like the model. Oh, my um, God. The Jack in the Box? Yeah. This is definitely like the lowest point of this. I, yeah. Okay, remember how I said earlier in the show that I don't have a bottom three? I might not have three, but right now I got one. Yeah. Uh, it's... I'm not a fan of it, but you it's know I understand what they're points. trying to do with it. Yeah, Ugh. it's 40 points. Points regardless. The model is just not my thing. Okay, but. the the heads popping out just look dopey. When I mean, no matter how it gets painted, it looks dopey. It kind of reminds me. I was laughing. I showed it at Harrison. Did you ever see Evil Dead Two? Yes. I'll swallow your soul. That thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Henrietta when she turned into demon face and was there. That's this. Yeah. So. I mean, it does some pretty neat stuff, but, um, so, obviously, Nagash and Nighthaunt Wizards get this, cast value 6, uh, when you successfully cast it, you set it up wholly within 18 inches of the caster, uh, it is predatory, it can move 8 inches and fly, um, unlike other endless spells that are predatory, you don't get to move when this one summons, so, it's after this model has set up or is or time out. after this model is set up or has moved roll a die for each model within six inches of it and on a six plus that unit suffers one mortal wound so it could potentially do a lot of damage if you roll a lot of sixes and put it at the right unit uh the next thing and that's soul siphon we'll come back to right. that but if you're in shyish the range of that is increased to nine instead of six Okay. Um, and then Soul Eruption. So you keep track of the number of mortal wounds inflicted by that model, and if the total is 20-plus at the end of any phase, all units within 6 inches of that model take D6 mortal wounds, and then the spell is dispelled. It blows so it's up. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of like the Malevolent Maelstrom. 
Like, it, it's building up all the souls in the case, and then the case is too full and explode. Yes. I swallow your soul. Oh, this model is brutal. Yes, uh, I, I mean, don't want to make cool. fun of anybody, but yeah, it's a cool it's idea. But it's yeah, just, it's a great it even idea. looks goofy. Just shoving this cat, this this this, you're shoving your grandmother's trunk, mm-hmm. you know, around the board. <laughs> it was just like, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's a cool ability. It can do a lot of damage, but I'm not going to take it because the model's goofy. I'm sorry. Right. Now, the Mortalis Terminexus is actually kind of a cool model. If you know how to paint stuff in, in the inside the glass like that, mm-hmm. uh, it's 60 points. And once again, only Nagash and the Night Haunt Wizards. It's casting on a value of 6. Set it up within 18 inches of the caster. Uh, it can move 8 and can fly. After it's been set up or has moved, the controlling player must decide whether it will reverse or hasten time. If you choose to reverse time, heal D3 wounds allocated to each unit within six inches of this model. If it hastens time, then model suffers D3 mortal wounds. So if you push it towards your your enemy, you'll give them D3 mortals. Um, if if they're moving it and they can't get it away, you almost kind of want to take it if you know you can't get it away from yourself. You push it somewhere, mm-hmm. at least it's healing. Um, but you get to either heal D3 or suffer D3. If it's in Shyish, then it moves 12 instead of 6. Um, none of these are really that great. I would take the Terminexus. Oh, I take it and keep it in my back, my backfield, or parts of that, and try to make sure I'm the one who's moving it, just to heal the D3 wounds. Yeah, or if you can manipulate it around by your opponent, um, it's 60 points, so it is a bit of an investment, but it's going to give your opponent some headaches, though, because if they want to heal themselves with the Mortalis, then they're going to want to go f- second in the battle round, which may potentially give you a double turn. True. Or give you more dictation. So this has, this is asking another question of your opponent of what they want to do and what they feel comfortable doing. That's yep. why I like the Mortalis. I can see that. I can see that. So that's it for the for their specialty endless spells. Honestly, you know what. Um, if you're playing Nagash and you're picking these, then you're probably not taking the mirrors or other cheesy stuff that you can take from the regular endless spells. Yeah. I just And don't... I would still probably take the Terminexus if I'm Nagash. Because I don't care about mortal wounds, really, with Nagash nearby. But being able to always heal D3 wounds on that big guy. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay, I can see I can see taking it with him then. Yeah. All right. So, let's look at some of these. Do we want to do every single one of them? I mean, we've been going for like 4 hours. Yeah. There's a I mean, we're obviously not going to cover the procession cuz you're never going to see it um outside of narrative play. But no. The different battalions all have things that are kind of like expanding on the basic rules. So it's really not as bad as it sounds. But we so, can just cover the cool ones. Now, um, the Shroud Guard, 
you got your Knight of Shrouds or Raikonur and two units of the Revenants. Um, the Basically, the bonus on this is you get your battle trait on a five. Yeah, but it replaces it, so you don't get both. You don't get the six, but you, it, it boosted to a five, which actually is pretty not too bad, but it's 110 points. So they boost that to a five, and then you get a command point and an extra artifact. Right. If you're already taking these things, maybe. I would still take it, because if you look at the cost of the Knight of Shrouds, which you'd probably take him or Raikonur regardless. Right. And then two minimum-sized units of the Revenants, that's only 90 points each. And then the Battalion. So you're paying for the artifact for drop control for command points. It's really worthwhile, especially if you are going to play it aggressively with the Knight of Shrouds. Okay, yeah. Now, I want to talk about one other, and then then because a lot of this stuff I'm not certain, but we did that. Um, I'm looking at the one, of course, the Death Riders, the one with the black coach. Yeah, the all-mounted version of uh, Nighthaunt, which is totally doable. Two hex, two units of hex wraiths. One to two units of the Dreadblade Harrows. So you got everybody riding around. Uh, and then you got the black coach. Now this one, how many points is this one? This one is 130. Mm-hmm. You're getting the point. You're getting the drops. You're getting the extra artifact. Um, the special ability here, it's plus one to charge rolls. And on a natural nine instead of a ten, you get all the attacks. Yep. I'm thinking this is worth it if you're going to play with all those with all that cav. Yeah, because the, it I mean, absolutely is. The odds of getting that nine are just so much. You're getting plus one of the charge anyway, and we already know. We've already talked about how much, how fast that black coach can get around. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got your other your hex rays in that, which I believe you can use to pull back if you need to. Um, if they're getting out of the way, and then that nine up to charge to get that attack. This this is the one I like. It's kind of expensive, but I think that one extra bit of movement and that natural nine uh, to get all those extra attacks in the phase, I don't know. I I really like it. No, I do too. Absolutely. Yay for me. I picked a good one. Yeah, you did. Because at first I'm like, all that for just an extra inch of movement and, you know, then obviously the natural nine for – because the extra inch of movement on a natural nine gets you the ten – I'm like, oh, I already got the ten. Like, is that big of a difference? But then, as I like, I said, I was thinking earlier. It's the artifact. It's the, it's the command point. It's dropping that all in one drop right there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll take that. What else? Um, so the two chain rest battalions, the chain guard and the condemned, um, they require that you take two units of chain rasps that are at least twenty strong. We've already talked about like you're going to want to take. You're going to Those take in like 40. 40 packs regardless. So for the Condemned, it's a Spirit Torment and a unit of Chain Gas, or Chain Gas, which you're going to want to take anyway, realistically, to get their bonuses. But this one is you get to reroll failed hit rolls, period, 
for attacks made by chain rasps while they're wholly within 15 inches of a spirit torment or a chain gas. Yeah. So it's essentially making that bubble bigger, but this is, you're going to be taking those units anyway. So again, you're paying for drop control, artifact, Everything like that, and this is what you would be, would be taking anyway. Now, if you take the if you just take the pair of chain gasts, you don't max them out, but you max out the chain rasp hordes. Yeah. With the unit, because the condemned this is the condemned, right? It's yeah. one fifty. This is the most expensive one on your list. You're looking at nine hundred and ten points for the torment. Mm-hmm. The 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 oh, it's one unit of chain gas. I think I miss. I think I misadded that then. It's yeah, one so it should gas. be the cost for the Torment, 40 for the Chain Gas, and then 80 the two... for the Chain Gas. Yeah. Yeah, so the Torment, I'm sorry, one, so that's 200 plus 560 is 760. No, eight, six, 910, 910. So it's it's almost half your army. But Rerolling their ability daily. to kick out that much damage and that many attacks... And that's just re-rolling failed hit rolls from mm-hmm. the hordes if they're wholly within 15 of the torment or the ghasts. Of course they're going to be. Yeah. Hell, you could have the, the ghasts in the middle of the darn chain rasp Bubble. horde. Yeah. yeah. This is expensive, but that's that's good. Yeah, and because they fly, you don't have to leave lanes for them to move into the center of the units. They can just fly over their friends. The, oh, that is good. Yeah. So let's look at the chain guard. You mentioned that. Yep. So this one is two units of chain rasp, at least 20 strong, and a guardian of souls. Um, so for this one, each time a chain rasp poured from the battalion is uh, affected by... Spectral lore or temporal translocation. Um, I'm going to have to double check which one that is. The temporal translocation, because yeah, I don't, I don't think that. that's an actual thing anymore. Spectral lure is. That was yeah, the, and the translocation is not a thing, I think. <laughs> it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, I don't did that get FAQ to ignore that? I don't see that either. Yeah, I believe it was FAQ to ignore. Listen to you yep. shuffling them pages. I'm just making sure I'm not missing anything, but yeah, I think sure. that one was FAQ to ignore. Um, so, regardless, you're looking at uh, when you use the Spectral Lure, you get to return D6 slain models to the unit in addition to those from the Spectral Lure. So, you're putting 2d6 back, plus if you take the the beacon, so 2d6 plus 3 yep. back every time you cast it. And I think that Temporal Translocation is on the Special Edition one. Um, maybe? Question mark? I think it might not be a thing anymore. Um, but regardless... You're putting a lot of models back very quickly. Yes, and then you yes. get the plus one to wound. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, that's... that's. These are all actually better than I thought. <laughs> yeah, once you add everything up, they are much better than the sum of their parts. Uh, okay, so you are going to go through all these. What about the Execution Horde? This one's a little trickier. So you're looking at a Lord Executioner and three into Spirit House. So 
it's your three cheap battle line units plus a cheap character plus a fairly inexpensive battalion. Execution Horde's only 100 points. So again, artifact drops. You know it. So you get to subtract one from hit rolls for attacks that target the Lord Executioner while a Spirit Host unit from this battalion is within six of the attacker's unit. So if he's got friends nearby or more souls that harass him, they're harder to hit the Lord Executioner. And then if they're within three inches of a hero, that hero's minus one to hit, plus another minus one to hit. If they're targeting the Lord Executioner, which should be the only thing they're fighting, so that's minus two, which is huge. And in addition, you get to add one to the hit rolls for the Executioner while they're in six inches of a spirit host from the battalion. So, again, it's a two-point swing. As far as, like, the hit and yeah. to be hit. This one could be good. Yeah, I, I have faith in that one. I've played against it, and... It's cheapest chips drop control and an extra artifact. Like, I don't think people have really grasped how important that is yet in some of these cases for them, these smaller battalions that don't aren't like Uber, like a Wargrove or something. So Right. Huh. Okay. Uh Deathstalkers. A Karen Wraith, two units of rip Reapers and two units of Stalkers. Mm-hmm. And well, actually, that's that could be pretty cheap too, unless you really max out the reapers. Yeah, which you're gonna want to, regardless, because they're so good as a unit. Right. If you do max them out, but not the uh, yeah, cameras, there's no reason to look, take. Yeah, you're looking at a grand. Yeah, so it's half your army. Uh huh. And I don't know if I would take it. But yeah, it's a grand, and then let's see. After setup, but before battle, pick an enemy to be soul marked. Plus one to hit and wound for a unit attacks made by units from this. But no, no, no. I, I mean, want- it's cool when it goes off, but you have to pick one unit, and once that one unit's dead, then the battalion loses its ability. And it only gets the bonus against that one unit. It is a hefty bonus. But it's so situational. Yeah, I'm passing on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Shrieker host. This one is a two Banshee, two units of the Herodons, and two units of Banshees, uh, the Mirmorns. So this could be cheap um, as far as a battalion is concerned. You get to re you f- force Battleshock rolls of one to be re-rolled as long as they're within six inches of any units from this battalion in the, at the start of the Battleshock phase. And in addition, Inspiring Presence cannot be used on enemy units that are within six inches of any units from this battalion. Oh. That's kind of cool. This one, I think, has play, even with the Herodons. Because, again, you're looking at two dispel attempts from the Banshees. You've got the Herodons flying around doing some mitigating damage, and you've got the Banshee floating in and out of combat yelling at things. But being unable to use Inspiring Presence, which is what a lot of armies depend on to keep their units alive, 
It's a huge deal. If you go minimum, it's only 560 points, too. Yeah. If you take just the two units, a minimum of five uh, Herodons, and the uh, two Two units units of four Banshees, yeah, you're coming in about 500 points with the battalion. And, yeah, throwing them up there and, and taking away... Especially for horde armies, where that becomes a thing. Like, oh no, I'm not taking it because I know I'm just going to lose 15 guys. Oh, you're taking it. Yeah. And plus, they're going to be screaming at them anyway. Mm-hmm. If you're pl- if you like banshees, there's no reason not to take this. Yeah. And the Herodans with the dispel. Yeah, yeah, that could be cool. Yeah, so there it's- are a b- most. There's. Almost a battalion for anybody's play style. Even if you want to take the the uh, undead Skaven, that's that's not as great. But there's it's still there. a battalion potential. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot here. Um, yeah. Uh, and again, kudos to the guys who wrote this. For there's, I don't. I mean, outside of me personally taking the. Taking the the uh, you know the ability that lets me put back more wounds, you know I kind of that's I'm I'm thinking I'm one plusing that automatically in my head just because that's how I love to play the undead. Whatever your play style is, whatever you like, there's a bunch of builds in here. Mm-hmm. If you like undead, you can find something in here that you're gonna like. Yeah, I like it. I'm oh, so good. No huge super standouts. Everything's solid. You want to play hordes? You want to play elite? You want to play that calf? Go for it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong really with any of these play styles, and just but even the probably the worst battalion, which is that Karen race one, is still really good because the two main units in there will make up for the difference. So you've got a lot to choose from from a smaller range of models, whereas some of the other books, we've seen battalions where they're they're just not, they're there. Right. But every one of these things serves a purpose and contributes positively to your game experience. Yep. Except the procession. The procession is ridiculous, but that's for the cool, big match, or big narrative play games, regardless. So, And honestly, that uh, Death Riders, if you went, Stupid, mm-hmm. and you wanted to max it out. You get the two heroes are a hundred apiece. The black coach makes it four eighty. The uh, battalion five eighty six ten. Oh, I said six ten, and uh, if I had two, two, max two maxed out units, one sixty of the hex rays. Yeah, one sixty times four is six forty, so that's twelve eighty. 1280 plus whatever I just said, that's almost an entire army. You just need to throw in a, uh, a, a general. An extra battle line. Because you could take a hero as your general because he's a leader. Oh, okay. Uh, so you need an extra battle line because so... That's all of 80 points for a chain rasport. Uh-huh. And then or another unit of hex rates. Just go, if you full go full all mount. Yeah, full all mount. You can get right up close to 2,000. Stay a little shy, get some extra command uh, points. You could do that. I don't know how well it would work, 
But you just fly all over the battlefield chopping stuff up. If I can kill enough things, mm-hmm. then I'll grab all the. Then I've got. I can grab some uh, objectives and and do what I need to do. Heck, like or you said, if you wanted to do it, you could run two of them. Yeah, you don't max two of the out. battalions. You don't max it out. You run two of the battalions. Can you take two behemoths? Can I do that? Yes. In match play, I don't. I, I don't. I don't have any behemoths in the army. I always play, so I don't. Know it's based can. on the uh, points value. So if you're doing two thousand points, you get up to four behemoths. Oh. So and it's the only behemoth in Night Haunt. So right. if you wanted to do that, you're looking at what is that? Six forty for four minimum units of hex rays. Uh. Two black coaches at five sixty, and then two dreadblade harrows, and then two of the battalions. That's only sixteen sixty if mm-hmm. you minimize it. Yep. And then, oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Oh look at oh, the wheels are turning. Sixteen sixty. Yeah, and that crosses all your battle line requirements because the hex tracer battle line in night haunt. And actually, you could bump. Two of those hex wraith units by five. You could, or and that would bring it two thousand. Yeah, or you could add in a knight of shrouds <laughs> to give the dread, the, to give the harrows rerolls, or um, you could be really stupid and you can drop one and put the other one. Can you put the other one in the ground? The whole battalion, as long as half the units are on the table. There's half the units on the table. Yes, yeah, so I put one battalion on the table and one battalion in the ground. Yeah, I would keep the coaches on the table, though, because that's how they get their evocation. Oh, that's right. Okay. But if you do the Knight of Shards on Ethereal Horse, um, you get to add plus one to Night Haunt units. And if he can pop that off several times on the Black Coach, for instance, um, or on the Black Coaches, I should say, um, yeah, that's a lot of damage potential very quickly. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So you could do all mounted. It is it is perfectly feasible. And then every one of your characters would get an artifact. Nice. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm not buying a second black coach. <laughs> I don't know if I would either. They're kind of like Star Trek's. You, It's one and done. But if you really like them, you could definitely do two or three in a list if you really wanted to go there. <laughs> hey, they have those three Star Drake lists. I could do a three three black just three black coach. Yeah. One up the middle, one up the guts, and two on the one on each side. Good. Eat it. You're killing me, Smalls. Oh God, that's so good. Alright, listen. Overall we all know what I think. What about you? I like this book. Um and I really like the combinations that you can pull off with this. I think it's going to be a very popular army once people finish painting it, realistically, because it does everything that you're going to want to see for death. And then with taking some of the units from the starter set into a Legions and Nagasha list, I think that's going to be a pretty nasty combination as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, time to wrap. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I've had so much fun doing this one, though. I really have. Um, I know going through all the different lores on all the different characters got a little 
Plus, it gets a little depressing. I could see after a long day of work with you that you come back and you talk about people being tortured all day. It's just not something that necessarily is going to excite you. But I like. Uh, I just, I it's it it brings a, a depth to what otherwise is just a bunch of ghosts, and I've often mm-hmm. just looked at it as just a bunch of ghosts, you know. Yeah, it's a little different now. Yeah, it gets a little crazy. So, um, all right, let's wrap this up. Um, hey, after Olinor, um, if you're listening to this right when we drop it, then. The last section of A Thousand Suns dropped to, well, dropped today. So if you're listening after Eleanor, we've got the last of A Thousand Suns out. Uh, so please check that out. Uh, the Garage Hammer Horse Heresy Book Club on the Freebooters Network. Lots of great shows on there, and that's the only place you can hear new episodes of After Eleanor. Uh, and if you like it, leave the Freebooters Network a nice iTunes review, too. Uh, we like nice iTunes reviews. I'm just saying. But uh, we also like voicemails. So uh, what else? Check out the Patreon page again, folks. Um, please check it out. If you decide you want to help out the show, that's cool. Seriously, you can come in for whatever. Throw in a buck an episode. It's a big deal for us. It really helps us out. Uh, yeah, we do want to thank our associate producers, Phil Elliott, Dwight Sims, our executive producer, Nick Nafpliotis, who, as I said earlier in the episode, I met him. Um, and he's probably gonna, he's not gonna live too far. He's gonna come by and game with us sometime. I taught him how to play Shadespire at, uh, that, that, that thing last week. And, um, he was loving it. And, uh, so, you know, he, next time we're gaming, he's probably gonna come by. So, not only got an executive producer, but someone who lives close enough is gonna be part of our gaming group. Uh, and the newest sponsors, Keir Etherton and David Hillstrom. Uh, thank you mm-hmm. to all those guys. Thank you for being part of the one percent, Alex. Um, do we Dave. know? Do we know what we're doing next? Um, not another book review. We should probably take an episode off. Okay. Which means we have to be creative and come up with something. Yes. For episode one hundred ninety nine. One hundred ninety nine. Oh, so oh, get in your uh, the contest. Almost forgot. Get in your stuff for the contest. Um, tell us what you like best about our shows in the past 190 some odd shows and do it in a creative way and you may win something from the prize closet prizes ranging from something small that you might really like that you find to some big box game thing that's you know cool we got stuff so I'd like you to do that stuff and things uh, all right, Alex, I'm going to let you go because it's getting late and our listeners want to go too. So, I'm sure. <laughs> all right, folks, until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you've enjoyed the show, maybe consider leaving us a positive review on iTunes or check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash garagehammer. If you'd like to reach us, you can contact us via our email address, garagehammer at live.com. You can also find us on Twitter. David is at garagehammer, and Alex, that's me, is at somekindageek30. Original music by Claire Seabrook. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Music. Finally, if you want to join the Garagehammer community, as well as the AOS community worldwide, 
comment on our episodes in the show thread at the Grand Alliance Forums. That's TGA.community. Or check out the Garage Hammer Facebook page. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>